Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Hello, retro movie lovers, and welcome back to the movie Graveyard. We are digging up uh, one of the cinematic uh, debuts of one of the most fantastic slashes of all time. Yeah, everybody, you know me. This is the goat, and I'm joined by Trev 3K and the spooky Graveyard Night. Trev, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, goat. You know, it it feels great to finally be getting to uh, our boy Jason Voorhees here. Obviously, as yeah. grave diggers, we owe this guy a lot. You know, when oh, you're man. when you're a grave digger and you're in Camp Crystal Lake, business is good. He drums up a lot of a lot of work for us. So. Exactly, exactly. Almost on almost on a daily basis, because uh, there was a few of those movies were back to back to back. Like when you watch them, they take place the next day or whatever. Yeah, we had a good week for a while there. <laughs> yeah, we got the chalk. We got some fat overtime checks. So yeah, so we are rolling along with the uh, cult. Uh, I don't even want to say cult. Mainstream slasher uh, hit Friday Thirteenth Part Two. We're just gonna go ahead, I think, and get rolling on here. Oh wait, wait, what's that sound in the background? Oh, do you hear that sound, Trev? It's like uh, it sounds like two salamis slapping together. That's all the fanboys masturbating over their Scream Factory box set. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> let them have their fun right Trev? <laughs> yeah yeah the clearly the most debuted or hyped up release of the year but we're gonna say one two three go when we say go hit uh play on your remotes we are paused at the three second mark you will see the beautiful and when i say beautiful i truly mean beautiful I, like this image right here trev i wouldn't mind having this as like a, a framed uh, print in my house this is beautiful i mean it certainly looks like a painting i would see in many of the hotels and motels i've stayed at in my life exactly the parent beautiful paramount mountain so everybody grab your uh, remotes right now are you ready trev all right i'm ready one two three go now the mountain is surrounded by stars and the old Paramount Golf Western Company logo. Trev, I got to admit, um, I will give Paramount some credit. Uh, they don't, like, replace on their Blu-rays. They don't replace their, um, their like, old logos. Like, I hate when I get MGM movies, even, like, the ones put up, like, Kino Lorber, and they're, like, a movie's, like, from, like, 1982, and it yeah. has a brand-new CGI MGM logo, and I hate that. Yeah, no, Paramount's laziness benefits us in this, yeah. this aspect. Like, we just got to jump jump right into it because, like... Yeah, this- here we, of course, we have the opening scene where Georgie is chasing his uh, paper boat down. Oh, no, sorry, wrong movie. I'm sorry. But, but it is the right movie because that's literally what's happening. Like, a little boy... And I got to say, like... I mean, there's a there's a lot of um, opportunities where this will pop up, but I gotta say, this movie really reminds me of the true roots of what inspired uh, the Friday Thirteenth franchise, and that's the Giallo genre right here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly. I mean, we'll just get right into it. I'd say, for as influential as the first film is, and for its undeniable place in history, uh, this film sets the template a little bit more, and I just think it's a it's a better, more polished, well directed film. Uh, Steve Miner has a little bit more chops than Sean Cunningham, I'd say. True. And they, they had a little bit more money to work with this time, too. Well, that's that's true, too. But I really, I do like Steve Miner as a director a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about him quite a bit during this. And this is actually the second Steve Miner film you and I, you and I have done together. Probably it, not the last, either. I know. I can't remember. What was the first? We did House. That's right, House. So literally him knocking it out of the park... With this film, stepping into the Sean Cunningham shoes, continuing the franchise, that gave him the creative freedom to make House. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now here we have uh it would eventually I think eventually go away in the way later sequels but uh I, I always kind of liked the uh Friday franchise in case you missed the previous installment like the first basically 5 minutes of the sequel was always you know a throwback to what happened at the end of the other yeah. previous one. I mean I've seen people talk about that and some people don't like it but you have to remember I mean the main reason is that this is still a before home video era so you know, it's not like everybody had rewatched these movies a lot by the time the sequel came along. And sometimes people did need these reminders because they probably hadn't seen this first film since it had theatrical run a year before. I think I think they're, it's fine when you're revisiting these occasionally. The only time it gets a little tedious is if you are watching all of them in like a day. Right. Um, to roll right from part one into this one and have to watch all this stuff again can be kind of like, oh, come on. But but I mean, unless you're going to like a special retrospective, whatever, in the early 80s where some theater was playing, because I do remember like. Um, I don't really remember seeing it with the Jason movies, but I remember Freddy, like New Line would always like, I'd say through the first like four Freddy movies, they would do these marathons where they would like, you know, show them all in a day. Like, Mm -hmm. like, but other than that, unless you were doing it that way, back when they made these movies, like you said, it was before home video. Nobody could, nobody could even sit down and watch them back to back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just think it's smart too, because, you know, an advantage of a sequel, obviously, is it's a known entity, but at the same time, you're also kind of taking a risk, too, because it's like, if the other person, if, if a person hasn't seen the previous one, they probably won't go see it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so this is a way, and I think these movies, like, were a good thing of, like, people dragging their friends to it, going back to see it multiple times, so, like, it is cool how, how like, your first Friday movie could have been part two, part three, part four, maybe, and you still wouldn't be completely out of the loop, you know? And for Friday, too, it's a good benefit to remind people. I mean, obviously, the big get of the first film was having Betsy Palmer show up as Mrs. Voorhees at the end. So just to remind everyone of like, hey, there's a little bit of class to our, our franchise here. We got this this famous actress and she was definitely the most memorable part of that film. So why not bring those scenes back? You know, ultimately, I am, I am kind of surprised they show as much of the finale as they do simply yeah. because the rest of the film quite contradicts the ending of the first movie but oh well (laughs) (laughs) yeah it really does i was gonna say that too like i don't know how much we want to get into it like right at the top but it's like you kind of in order to even understand who jason is in this film you kind of at least have to understand a little bit of like the backstory with the mom and what happened you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm because if you didn't, then it would just literally be some footstep killer coming to kill this red hair girl that you don't know anything about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, what's your opinion on, like, besides, like, this all this footage we're seeing from the first film, as we watch the rest of this opener, what's your overall opinion, Code, of this opening sequence? Because um, this is a trend that would happen a lot in kind of slasher films and slasher sequels in particular throughout the 80s of killing off the hero of the previous film in the beginning of the next film. And I, I always have mixed emotions about it because I think, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a bummer to see, you know, your hero who made it all the way through the previous movie just get taken out so quickly in the next one. It ultimately ends, you know, you kind of feel really bad for him at a certain point. Yeah, like, I, I agree. And a lot of times it has to do with usually there's, like, reasons why the actor or actress doesn't want to come back. Um, and, like... As a dramatic whatever, I agree with you. It doesn't really, like, feel earned or feel good. The only thing I'll say, the only time I think it kind of was cool was Hostel 2, when they clearly yeah. did it as a homage to these older films. But, like, yeah, it's like... Um, well, Hostel 2 had the advantage, too, of both those guys were kind of jackasses. So you really didn't right. mind seeing him 
you know, finally get his in the next one. I kind of agree with that. And like, uh, I'd, I'd say really, um, you know, like, oh, like, I don't know, like, like with Friday, I, I, I can accept it a little bit more in a Friday the 13th movie because they're like a, l- a little bit like nihilistic, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. I think the, the one instance where I, it really bugs me every time I see it is when you do Halloween 4 and 5 and Ellie Cornell just yeah. killed, gets killed off in a really dumb and shitty way. And then her character gets replaced with somebody who I like a lot, but clearly was designed to be a secondary character and not a main character. Yeah, I also kind of feel I forget the character's name right now, but the character in the in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, like the the kind of like replacement Nancy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, they they, they recast Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the recasting is is so bad, you know. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I agree. And it's a uh, Tuesday night, I think, is the name of the second actress. I, I want to say yeah. I want to yeah, say yeah. She doesn't have Patricia Arquette's chops, that's for sure. So I guess you don't really mind losing her, but still, it's like uh, okay. And, and that's a really one, if you don't know the continuity real well of the Nightmare films, is when you watch that one where they replace her, you're kind of like, you don't put two and two together that it's um, Patricia Arquette's character from part three. Yeah. And it's, re- this- it's really rough, too, because part three was probably the best sequel. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Unless you count New Nightmare, but that's kind of its own standalone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this opening sequence also has been long confusing to a lot of fans, including myself when I was younger, in that... You know, there's a lot of like they hadn't figured out the rules of this franchise yet, obviously, as we'll see through this film and we'll talk about. But watching this, it's really unclear where Alice is. Mm-hmm. And so I remember always being confused, like, wait, how did Jason get to her? How did he travel? Did he like hop on a bus or what's going on? And it's really only clear if, if you read the novelization, which tells you that she actually still is in Crystal Lake, apparently part of her therapy to to kind of get over the traumatic events she lived through is that she was told to like stay in the town and kind of try and confront what she went through. But, and that you can maybe pick that up from this phone call with her mom. Cause she's, she's trying to explain to her mom why she's doing what she's doing, but she never quite says that. So I think sometimes people watch this and there's that question of, wait, if she went back to like wherever she's from, how does somebody like Jason get to her? Yeah. Like I, I can't remember off the top of my head and you might not either Trev. like, cause they usually set up the counselors traveling to crystal Lake to do whatever. And, um, I don't remember how far she came, really, yeah. to, to go there. But I always kind of took it that she was more of a local who was just working there as a summer job, like a local college student. Yeah. But uh, one thing about this opening is kind of like, you know, we're again, we're, we're doing a Friday the 13th movie. We're doing the first movie where Jason is in it. But this isn't really still the franchise that's kind of widely no. known. You know what I mean? And like in in this this uh, opening se- uh, sequence, because um, I didn't start seeing the the I didn't get current I guess you could say with the series until uh, I saw part seven in the theater. To, uh, up until that, I would just see bits of them on TV or whatever, and usually like broadcast TV where they chop the bits. But but this this sequence, this opening sequence, this is what I always remembered about part two. And even watching it again, to me, it's the scariest. And I don't know what it is. There's something about how it, the way it opens with the kids skipping down the thing and the the boot steps, so you know you know something's coming here. And just the Steve Miner did a great job because this this sequence even now like works on my nerves. Though to me, this is by far the scariest. Uh, you know, and, pl- and plus, obviously, we're we're watching a, a main character that we care about. You know, because mm-hmm. we watch her survive the first one. But uh, yeah, this still like I love this opening as weird and kind of disconnected from the rest of the series. And like you said, the logic is all screwy. 
I love this. Yeah, part. I mean, even if you can overlook the traveling Jason aspect of it, um, she did just get a bizarre phone call. So it kind of begs the question of did Jason prank call her? You're right. I like to think that was just completely unrelated. Just some random perv called her and it just happened to be moments before uh, Jason shows up to murder her. We're just like a shitty connection where like the person on the other end was trying to talk, but it just wasn't coming through. Yeah, maybe it was her mom again. But but if you think about it, it I, don't, I don't think logistically, even if we say like Jason is like, um, you know, like someone of higher intelligence than he probably is. Like, I mean, is he calling from the neighbor's house? I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, like unless you just pull the, you know, he's calling from inside the house type gag. You know what I mean? But there's a lot of elements I like to think. Oh, one of her drawings there looks like um, David Bowie and Labyrinth. Um there's a lot of elements of Jason I like to think about sometimes that I just think are funny. Like the fact in some of the movies when he knows the, how he, like the clothes he's wearing and he's always like wearing pants with a belt and just, and, and shoes. Right. And you're just thinking yeah. like, just picture Jason putting on a belt. It's just kind of like a little funny visual, you know, of him taking the time in the morning to get dressed. Yeah. Like he clearly, like I would say he like all overall, he has a pretty like stylish motif. He's not wearing the rags that he normally wears in other films. <laughs> But uh, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I don't know if this is just a person's real apartment that they came to shoot in or whatever. But like, when I was watching this the other day, and you know, especially cat scare, yeah, like the most, like literally, like I'm surprised you couldn't see the the the, the grips uh, hand throwing that cat through because <laughs> he didn't even jump through; he flew through that fucking yeah. window. <laughs> Sorry, but, I cut you off. But no, but I was just like this set dressing, you know, from those boxes back there filled with the food to her art mm-hmm. supplies are everywhere, even by, you know, the uh, the little dishwasher, like, drying rack. She has some paints there, too. Like, just everything about the set dressing, like, this just, th- I don't know how to explain it, but this, this location feels real to me. And that that's why it, it feels as scary as it is. Yeah, no, I, this is something I really miss from films of this era. Um Oh, also, Jason's very considerate here to take the yeah. uh, the pot off the the burner. But um, I I really miss this particularly from like regional or or lower budget horror films of the era is that real lived in like non production designy look of yeah. homes and movies. I think everything now when you watch a mainstream movie, nothing looks like a real house. I agree. I, I do. I do always appreciate that. The real houses, especially small living spaces like like uh, Alice was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're 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 packed to the gills, man. <laughs> you know what I mean. Adrian King gets third billing in this. Well, she she was. There's our boy Stu Charno. We'll get to him a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> good old Walt Gorney. But yeah, like literally. So Alice literally got it. Um, what was that, Trev? An ice pick? Is that what that was? Yeah. Yep. Ice yeah. pick to the temple. And uh, but you got to imagine Jason carried his mom's head there to put it in the fridge. Yeah, in a cooler, I assume. Yeah. Um, I also just think it's interesting that he has the head, because that means that when the police showed up to the, you know, the massacre at the end of the first film, they never recovered the head. And you'd think that would have been a point of contention. Uh, although I guess they might have just rationalized that an animal had grabbed it and pulled it into the woods or something. But you'd think that'd be a little bit more of a mystery. Like, we got to find this this head. I mean, yeah. The or maybe thing... Jason's got a connection on the Crystal Lake Police Department. Well, that kind of got wrecked. Yeah, that kind of got retconned with the remake, where they show him as a little boy picking up the head. But again, I mean, let's just dive into That's it. That's a re- different continuity, though. Right? Yeah, so. it is. Let, let's just dive into it right here, Trev. Um, we should say for people who are, like aren't as like you know in the know, whatever granular details of Friday Thirteenth. Jason yeah. was like. He didn't exist in the first movie. He had already deceased. He was a dead mm-hmm. child. 
So, so what exactly do you think, what is your best guesstimate about, you know, how does he come back in this movie? Well, I mean, the answer is, you know, why we know the real answer is just filmmakers who didn't care, who had to, who had to make the sequel. But I, I've always just assumed that because the only way it kind of works is if you have to assume that he never actually drowned, right? That he, everyone assumed he drowned, including his mother. Right. But really, he just went and lived in the woods as like this like feral, you know, person, um, you know, yeah. eventually handicapped person. And maybe he like was even, you know, maybe because the mom kind of left. Right. Maybe he just had no way to get back to her. And then it just so happens that as he was finally seeing her come back, you know, he's watching her murder these people and then he sees her get killed. And that's what really sets him off um, into the, you know, the murders, Jason, we know. But I mean, he's very clearly in parts two through four not a supernatural killer. Um, right. And in fact, we'll see that he's a, a very different kind of killer in this one. And to, in certain ways I really like, um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't buy him as a supernatural. I don't buy him as someone who drowned and came back to life. He's just, it's clearly that the drowning didn't really happen. And also too the, the flashback of like when he was like a kid or whatever, the deformed Jason for part one or the, or the dream or whatever, whatever you want to call it, just his general appearance in part one also doesn't match here at all because he, he had more of like a condition in part one where he didn't have any hair grow on his head and he has long hair in this one. Yeah, well, the yeah the look. I mean, his look is pretty inconsistent in these early films as well. Um, oh, actually, throughout the entire series, I don't think there's only two Friday the Thirteenth films where he looks the same with the mask off. Yeah, I always remember that. Like for some reason, I always kind of mix parts one and two together in my head when I was a kid, and I didn't see him a billion times each. As I always thought this happened in the beginning of part one, but but uh, this guy and this girl, uh, the guy to me looks like Bon Jovi. What do you think? Yeah, well, Bon Jovi wearing the stupid hat. Um, yeah. I like this opener because I think you're thinking of the scene in part one where they go into like the diner, which I believe right. is even like, this might be the same exteriors. It kind of looks like it. But uh, this is something that got dropped from later for the 13th films. And that kind of bums me out because I always really like seeing the town of, of Crystal Lake. Yeah. Um, you know, just seeing that there's like, you know, this is an active town with real townies and real locals. Um, and I always think that's interesting. It's something that's not explored enough. I think that actually the remake one of the one of the things i like about the remake is it kind of hints at a little more the the relationship between this town and the murders that have been happening and i I wish that's something we saw more often so the 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 guy that looks like bon jovi you gotta help me out with these names i believe his name is tommy right i think so yeah and then the girl like i even looked at the imdb and because they didn't have her picture is that vicky uh i mean you're gonna the geez they're they're kind of interchangeable here so Yeah. yeah But their their truck started to get towed, and it turned out it was just a prank uh, set up by their good old buddy Stu Charno, who plays Ted. I do know his Stu Charno's name. But uh, yeah, going back real quick to the inconsistency between part one and part two, I was watching some of the behind the scenes uh, on the the Blu-ray, and uh, it, it it wasn't like as sloppy as it seems. Like there was actually quite a bit of contention over doing the sequel the way they did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know Tom Savini was very against it, which is one of the main reasons he didn't come back. Well, I found this interesting, and I'm kind of curious now if this is true, Trev, or if it's just revisionist or whatever, but this is what some of the the behind-the-scenes shit on the Blu-ray said, is according to them, um, it was, uh, I want to say it was the Peter Brack interview on there, so it seems like he would be in the know with all the research he's done for Crystal Lake Memories, but supposedly... Uh, Cunningham just wanted to do the way John Carpenter wanted to do with Halloween and just have, uh, you know, a different Friday 13th movie released yeah, on no. Friday 13th and have it be yep. completely unrelated. 
So, like, that was the reason why he didn't even feel like directing it anymore, supposedly. Although, obviously, you know, it's his baby. He owns, like, whatever rights. Victor Miller, who I'm curious if we could avoid some of the lawsuits that we have now. Maybe not, but... He walked away because he was disgusted that they wanted to go with Jason. It seemed like the studio just wanted, like, more Jason bullshit. And also, like you said, Savini. So, like, think about, like, in actuality, the three main creative people behind the first film. Like, they pretty much walked... I mean, Sean Cunningham didn't really walk away, walk away, because he still, you know, came on board as a producer. um, Or stayed on board, I should say, because he kind of owned the whole thing. But, I mean... As far as creatively, like, yeah, like the three main people just walked away from the franchise. I know. That's always the ultimate irony of that. The lawsuit you just alluded to that's been going on for years and is keeping us from getting new Friday the 13th films is it's like it's this lawsuit about ownership or, you know, over ownership between these two people who, as you just said, neither of whom really gave a crap about the Jason character and didn't see this franchise as that. Uh, Now they're just fighting over you know who created that character and even like i remember being like a little bit annoyed by cunningham when he got the rights back to the franchise later on in the the series and suddenly was like mr gung-ho about making more jason films (laughs) yeah and just remembering how he as you just said he had initially just like kind of became way less hands-on because he didn't really want to go the the jason slasher route with the series yeah i do appreciate the loyalty though because uh pretty much the 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 main like i said when the main creatives walked away um they pretty much just employed all the people that worked on the first one but gave them promotions so Mm -hmm. like one of the one of the camera operators became the dp steve minor i believe was involved in the first one because he's a sean cunningham guy he stepped up as director and like you know other than like the inconsistencies of having to bring jason back and all that kind of stuff i think they did succeed uh, very well in terms of uh, making something because I feel like the first one was was very much a tiny small independent movie that was like in a carpetbagger way just released into a bunch of cinemas and I feel like like the people who made part two they at least like brought the everything kind of up a notch or two to make it more of a polished worthy of a wide theatrical release type film. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of tiny and small, we can't. I mean, we, we just we just went by, but we can't go yeah. without talking about uh, Terry's shorts. There, yeah, yeah, um, they're up her Kristen, ass. Kristen Baker as Terry, uh, yeah. the little Mickey Mouse, you know, half shirt and the short shorts. Definitely a very early crush for me. I don't know about you, but still, to me, one of the one of the hotter girls in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, you know what's funny too? When I was watching this and I saw her, I was like, oh, she's in this one. For some reason, I thought she was in another one. But yeah, she. She almost has like uh, a borderline Bo Derek statuesque uh, look going on in this one. Um, we should say the guy that jumped out of the bushes to shoot her in the butt with a slingshot. That was the good old Russell Todd, who uh, eventually would work his magic and chop him all. And she would, uh, I can't remember if it's before or after this, but Kristen Baker is in Midnight Madness. Yeah, yeah, I think that was actually right before this. Yeah. Good old Walt Gurney, it's got a death curse. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I was. I'm really happy they brought back Crazy Ralph again. Yeah. I'm sure when they were thinking of like what are the things we can do to remind people of the first film, he was definitely a very memorable part. So it's nice to see he's still just up to his. Hasn't changed his clothes five oh. years later. No. Still just up to his his usual shenanigans. And then here we have the introduction of. I'm going to say this code. I want to see if you agree. I think you do. But to me, the best final girl in the entire franchise. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Amy Steele is Ginny. Uh, my my definite favorite. I'm always, you know, I'm always uh, a big supporter of Alice from part one. But in Mm -hmm. terms of um, 
you know, in in all fairness to her, like the mold was being shaped a little bit more. Like the mold was there with Lori previously with Halloween when they made you know part one of Friday the 13th. But at the, at the same time, Friday the 13th, the original film, it wasn't even really trying to be in the same mold that Halloween was. Whereas I feel like part two, uh, Friday, is uh, trying to step a little more into the Halloween you know, archetype. You have a main slasher, you know, male slasher versus a, a female final girl. I agree. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm actually a huge fan overall of the cast of part three, and I actually like the girl that's in part three. But mm-hmm. there's just something about uh, Amy Steele that is uh, I don't I don't know how to describe it. Is 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 it her acting? Is it her look? Is it the way she kind of dirties up and gets kind of butch? You know, when, when yeah, all I the, think it's you know? I think it's all of it. I've tried to figure that out too because I've seen other people. I mean, who agree with me and talk about it. But it, yeah, I think you're right. It's people have a hard time explaining what it is about her. But I think it's just that she seems so real like real yeah. and likable like and not so she's not like model gorgeous with, no. like a lot of slasher films would try to go for um she just seems more down to earth i think like every time she's on screen you're just kind of you, you're rooting for her and like her um but yeah it's it's hard to put your finger on but but on ultimately i actually really like this entire cast i think this group of characters are all pretty likable um and fun to spend time with much more so than the characters in the first one for me i thought the yeah. uh I don't know. There's some of the characters in the first one where a lot of them felt like actors, like playing right. the part of teenagers. And here, and they're not supposed to be teenagers. I don't think all of them like a little older than that. But everyone just seems more likable. I'll get into like little character things later on that like kind of highlights each of these people to me. But um, this is this is a fun group. I like spending time with them more than the the counselors in the first one. And I got to say, you know, as the slasher genre really grew, I mean, I would say slasher genre even when this movie came out was still a little bit it was kind of exiting the infancy stage but it still was in its infancy in terms of the main tropes weren't really like laid down in concrete the way a lot of the films like three four years after this would follow them to a t mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. another, another key thing here is this is the film that when i was young this i don't know about you this is where i learned that uh women's menstrual uh, cycles could attract bears oh yeah yeah you didn't know that I did it from this film, thank God. <laughs> the educational value. That's so nasty when the black shit shoots in the guy's eye. Yeah. But even, it, even Paul, like Paul's a good example, right? Where even Paul's likable in this. Like, you know, yeah. as, as like the boss who has to like, you know, be in charge and be kind of the stick in the mud. But still, he's much more, um, you root for him much more than you would like a Steve Christie from the first one. Well, let's see if you agree with this, Trev. I also remember this campfire scene quite a bit as a kid. Yeah. One of the most. Let's see if you agree with this. Let's just say that the Friday Part 2, this movie, is still in kind of wave one of the slasher genre. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like at that point in time, the idea was you were supposed to still root for the the good guys. And like the bad guy was a force of, uh, you know, threatening evil. Whereas I feel like when, when the, when he became such big business later, they did that thing where like they intentionally made a lot of the victims unlikable so that you would root for him to get killed. And I got to say, like, I like it more the old fashioned, honest way where you're, where they, where the filmmakers actually, they spend more of the time trying to get you to like the characters than hate. Yeah, the I agree. I agree. You want to, I know, I, I get what you're, I know what you're saying. And like, it is, yes, you get to a certain point where of course it's fun to watch the, the murders, but I will always prefer it when you actually want these kids to survive and you and you feel the pain of it. And I think that's very true in this one. There's a there's a couple ones in this one that I think are particularly like even heartbreaking when they happen. Yeah, for sure. 
this is a small little detail here. Again, this might sound. I'm now people are gonna start rolling their eyes at certain things I say, and like everyone, like, are you really thinking this deep about Friday Thirteenth? But I am. Whatever, deal with it. This is my favorite franchise. But even the small deal of how um, Ginny here is holding uh, Terry's dog, I like that because normally, like you said, in a more modern slasher, they give everyone their little character quirk, right? It would be like right. Terry has a dog. She always has the dog. But just that's a small thing to show, like the friendships here of like where in this, during this campfire, a different character has the dog, and it's almost like it's the camp's dog now. Yeah, and I mean, and that's just more true, more real life is mm-hmm. uh, everybody would be, you know, a friendly dog, you know, and then like, like I said, like later movies, the dog would be terrible, it'd be eating everybody's underwear, it'd be pissing everywhere, <laughs> you know. What yeah. I mean? yeah, they definitely use it for more comedic beats. Yeah, but um, yeah, I like this. Always, this scene always uh, drew me in, where he tells the the campfire story, which is clearly just a story to you know, kind of like an urban legend type of story to um you know kind of scare everybody who's new to the camp and good old Stu Char- charno jumps out as like i would say he's dressed like a caveman type character mm-hmm. yeah well, how do you feel this franchise would have went if that's what the killer actually looked like throughout the whole series think it'd I be think, as popular no i think this would probably would have been the last one they made <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty because although the although this uh this film's rendition rendition of jason and how he looks it it gets a lot of ridicule to this day because people love that that iconic uh, hockey mask thing so much. At the same time, it, it's it's at the very least a good classic horror movie villain look. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so they we ba- they I think it was during that little speech. But like I said, as much as it's a campfire urban legend, they're kind of I think in a way. What do you think, Trev? They're kind of trying to t- like retcon, tell you the true story of what happened to Jason, don't you think? Yeah, well, that's what's interesting. So I, I think, like you said, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know how much I want to give these writers credit because, you know, it's, I don't think anybody thought they're making high art. But even the fact that he tells the story there, and it's and it's slightly different than what we saw in the first film, it's almost like they're acknowledging the fact that they have to change the story a little bit. But it's also almost giving them an excuse for there being a fairly loose continuity between these early films, because it's kind of like you're always just watching this evolution of a of a of a legend about this place. You know, I ultimately think about like the way George Miller talks about how the continuity of the Mad Max films works, where he says it doesn't really matter if they perfectly sync up because this is all like legends of this character. And you could look at the Friday the 13th films that same way, where each one is like a retelling of this story, what happened to this camp. So maybe it doesn't have to match up exactly. Also, too, what do you and think? thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, it was a TED Talk. And... uh And what do you think about, I believe it was during that bit, if not a previous bit, at some point, they set up that this film takes place five years later. I never understood why. What do you think about that, Trev? Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, one of the things I did when I was like reviewing all these films for a website years ago was trying to create like the actual timeline because they would kind of, like you said, they give you a place in time. And the five-year jump is is the only thing I can think of is because they they wanted to justify when would a camp actually open up again. I know this isn't the same camp. It's supposed to be like a little down the way from Camp Crystal Lake. But even still, I doubt this camp would have opened up the next summer, right, after, like, a series of horrible murders at yeah. Camp Crystal Lake. So maybe they were trying to say, like, well, five years is enough time for this town to kind of not forget it, obviously, but maybe be a little bit more willing to let a new group of kids go out there into the woods. Well, like, when I was a kid watching this on TV, um, oh, the girl has the stupid hat on now. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was Looks a kid... better on her, though. It actually kind of does in a weird way. 
But uh, when I was a kid watching this, I don't know why. Just because, you know, Friday the 13th, you, you, like, generally runs, you know, rolls around on the calendar once a year. As a kid, not paying attention to those details, I always thought this took place, like, the next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only thing I could think of, kind of, is, like, why they would set it that far in the future. Is, like, when we saw Jason as a dream, whatever we saw him as... Um, he was still a kid, and like maybe they were thinking, oh, we need to give him a few years so he can grow up to be believable in this movie. But even that doesn't make any sense, because Jason would have been fully grown already in part one, because he drowned in, like, what was it, 1955 or something? Yeah, no, he should, yeah, I, yeah, he should already be. If you're buying into the idea that he didn't really drown, he should have been a grown man, even by that point. Right, right. So I mean, That's why you still have to think of the, the, the shocking end of the first one as, like, a dream sequence. Right, right. Isn't there a line of dialogue in this where, like, they reference that happening and they're just, like, somebody says something about it. Maybe it's a sheriff. I don't know who it is. But somebody says something like, um, like, just because some girl got startled and fell out of a canoe. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually, uh, it's, uh, I think it's Stu Tarno that says that. It's when they're at the okay. bar. Okay. Yeah. And because now, I Crazy didn't... Ralph, you know, I, I, I like Crazy Ralph, but I'm starting, you know, in the first one, he was just kind of this doomsayer that would show up and yes, right. he like kind of broke into their cabin and hid in a closet and stuff, which is weird. But here you start to lose him as a sympathetic character a little bit because he is kind of peering, uh, peeping on uh, undressing girls. Oh, yeah, he's he's definitely time to time to time to cancel Crazy Ralph. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll cancel the shit out of Crazy Ralph. But you know, what's kind of funny is like looking back on it. Like, other than possibly be a red herring, why was he even a doomsday fucking predictor in the first one? Because no one had been slaughtered at that point. It was just a boy had drowned 25 years earlier or something. You know what I mean? He's just, he's just really prescient. He could, he could see it coming. Yeah, Ralph Stradamus over here. <laughs> and you know, ultimately thing- killing Ralph is a, is like a, a good that's just good business sense from Jason because oh, yeah. you don't want this guy around who's going to keep telling kids not to come. You got to get rid of that. Uh, you got to get rid of that obstacle. Yeah, he's he's like this silver surfer warning of Galactus's uh, arrival. <laughs> but you know what's funny too is like I said um, right before we start recording this this movie is a lot shorter than I remember it being. And I, and I guess just because it's shorter is uh, I always remember Crazy Ralph as like having more screen time and, and you know, this movie as wow. he did. He basically has like a quick, uh, you know, show up in the town. Then you see him on his bike on the country road. And then right here he gets killed, grot it with the barbed wire. And that's it. Yeah. You almost wonder if they like regretted that or they weren't thinking because they, they left him in a position of every subsequent film. They had to come up with a new Crazy Doomsayer. Yeah. So you get, you know, like Crazy Abel with the eye in the next one and. You know, kid, just in, inventing new ones all the time. Kid had Crazy Ralph Jr. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, since that was the first death, I guess we should mention it. You know, there's there's a big thing of, um, you know, the the you know, and by the way, I was uh, I didn't I, I didn't mean to be that mean at the beginning talking about everybody masturbating on their box set. It was it was just a joke. Uh, you know, uh, because uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we actually are recording this a month and a half before it airs. But so by the time this this comes out, everybody will have the box set now. But it, there was such a fervor over that box set, Trev, and so much of the fervor was like, maybe this time they'll uncover the footage. Every time Friday movies get released on DVD, Blu-ray, it's always maybe they'll find the because they did do an uncut version of uh, the original film, I think. But, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's pretty much been agreed upon that pretty much all the original film elements have been destroyed. Um, for, for this one? 
Yeah, because yeah, but you see, didn't you see that they did announce the other day that they they do they did find the footage and it's they're putting it on as a bonus feature, but it's like it's come it's, it's from it's a like VHS, a VHS uh, though, it's like a VHS rip. Yeah, yeah so it's not they're not doing like a My Bloody Valentine thing where they're no. reincorporating it into the film. It's just uh, it's just extra features. And I have to say, like on this one, I've never felt like I know I've heard what's cut, and I, I know you know all these films got cut down. But unlike, say, a part seven, which is really hampered, you know, in the final cut by editing because it just feels so neutered. Um, I've never really watched this one and felt like it needs to be gorier. I don't think I'm like missing much by by that stuff not being there. That's what I was going to say. I think, cause, the death, uh, I think the deaths are pretty brutal already. Yeah, because because uh, Peter Brack was saying on the special features that they had to cut a whole minute from this movie and it was pretty much all the like kills and like they were saying like the you know the thing where the, he spears the guy and the girl in the bed like that whole scene got cut and like it doesn't make sense now but i gotta say like as a kid and even watching it now like if i were to make a slasher movie now i like you know other than possibly one more second or something like that I think I would actually be aiming for this level of violence that's in this particular movie. I think this movie comes out really good because, like, according to what he was saying was they pretty much got away with what they wanted to with the first one. But once it became a success, then the MPAA would, like, really fucking, you know, had their their knives out, so to speak, for these films. And uh, supposedly this one suffered terribly. But I got to say, like, I think the film still works very well. The the yeah. most choppy, shitty editing thing that happens is the ending, and that had nothing to do with gore. That just had to do with the fact that they thought it looked strange, so it, they kind of like re-edited yeah. it, and it's a little. Yeah, the odd. only one I've ever wondered about, and I'm not I'm not even sure if it is something that got cut, and that's part of the footage. But like Terry's death is just kind of nothing. Like right, you, you don't right. see anything. It's just it's just yeah. missing, and that that I've always wondered about. But uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with the, the level of violence in this. Well, speaking of uh, censoring, um, this is actually some stuff that wasn't censored here. This is the uh, sizzle part of the film. You get to see, I think, Vicky here in her, her bikini top. And in a second, they'll cut back to the beach. Everybody's going swimming. You'll get a good shot of Amy Steele uh, in her bikini as well. So I got to say, um, you know, normally we don't bring up these, these type of discussions. But I got to say, who do you think has a sexier female cast? Friday the 13th Part 2? Or Netflix's Mion's, aka Cuties, Trev. Um, boy, I'm gonna try and avoid that question. I mean, I want to. I'll just play it safe, and I'll say I personally am gonna have to go with Friday the 13th Part Two. Oh here. yeah, by a long mile. And I don't care what yeah. you know. He's entitled to his opinions, but I don't care what Ted Cruz says. I'm gonna go with Friday the 13th Part Two. <laughs> Can I get on my soapbox for just 30 seconds about that, Trev? Have you seen sure. the movie yet? No, I'm I'm really not that interested in the movie, but I'm not also I'm not I, I'm not in the cancel Netflix crowd about it. Okay, well this is what I'll say. Um, I'm not necessarily in the cancel Netflix crowd. I'm more in the shame Netflix crowd, and here's why. I watched the film. I don't have a problem with it uh, as a piece of art. I think uh, mm-hmm. filmmaking, you know, it, and and I am somewhat of a fan of the independent coming of age, growing up troubled, growing up rough uh, type of genre of films. But I will say this. I think this filmmaker made a movie trying to explore a topic and kind of make a point that there's something yeah. not good going on in our society. Not even our society. Yeah, I, I know, yeah, I know what you're about to say. Yeah. And what Netflix did really pissed me off. I was highly offended by that poster they put out before I saw the film. And I'm actually kind of more offended now that I've seen the film because ain't nobody with common sense at all was able to look at that poster and not realize that a that's that's not the way you should sell this film and b it wasn't going to cause a shitstorm so to speak 
So, like, whether it was intentional or not, I personally think it was intentional. Netflix caused a shitstorm. They opened up a debate, a topic, which even then I think, you know, okay, yeah, this isn't the image we should be using. This, this, They call it a poster, but it's not a poster. There's no physical poster that exists of this. It's just a thumbnail image. I felt like it opened up a can of worms, and from then, with all the resources that Netflix had, I felt like they could have opened a, uh, a discussion of the themes and, like, the topic of this film and done it smartly, you know, like, like they have a, a huge social media presence, they have uh, a huge YouTube channel, and they have their own platform, they could have put out some interviews, they could have, you know, the thing deals with, uh, you know, what's being represented in hip-hop music now, they could have had some hip-hop artists weighed in, they could have done a lot of things, basically, to have a constructive criticism, or I should say conversation about this topic, and what did they do? They 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 gave their half-assed apology and they walked away from it, and they, they 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 took this little independent film about this topic and they exploited it and they walked away and they went in the corner and they went they they went to count their money as a big shitstorm brood, and I gotta say fuck Netflix like the fact that you backed away from this from taking this moment and possibly turning it into a, actually a positive moment for society, fuck you Netflix P U S S I E S spells Netflix fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I, I don't disagree. But I mean, ultimately, like that's the thing is, like you said, I'm sure it was intentional. You know, people have said like, well, like, oh my god, I can't believe they marketed it that way. But I think they were, I think they were definitely aiming for that controversy. And ultimately, more people probably watch that movie now than would have otherwise. So I'm sure right. that's what they were aiming. Especially Netflix, where movies just get dumped on Netflix all the time and nobody talks about, it, no one sees. Right. I guess the one benefit of it all is that this movie that sounds like it might actually deserve some eyes and some of that conversation did get some people to watch it just because of that. Um, I mean, I, I agree that it's too bad they didn't, you know, then put up like some kind of discussion roundtable thing or something. Right. But, that's that's all you would have to do. That's all you would have to do. And I don't I don't mean that way to like repair their public image. I'm just saying like because you know how like when COVID broke out, the millions of emails you got from businesses and then when George mm-hmm. Floyd uh, incident happened, the, I still got dozens of, of emails from companies. This is where we stand on this. Yeah, Netflix can never do that ever again because they had an opportunity to, you know, promote something, to, uh, you know, you know, let experts weigh in on this topic. Uh, and, it, and it would have been a conversation that otherwise would have never come up and they just dropped the ball. Like... Like, like if somebody like A24 or like, you know, whoever like would have distributed that movie, they would have they would have done a lot more positive uh, outreach like that. And just Netflix. They are what they are. They're a Silicon Valley tech company and they buy a bunch of movies and they don't give a shit and they want all the attention they can get and they don't really care. You know what I mean? Now, go. can I jump on a soapbox really quick here? Go for it. Back to the movie. Uh, let me take you back to a time when a, a movie called Friday the 13th, the remake came out Ooh. <laughs> and a certain subsect of Friday the 13th fans went apeshit saying, that's not Jason. Jason doesn't run. What are you doing? I want to bring your attention back to Friday the 13th part two and the sequence we're watching now where Jason is literally running away from a cop. Jason runs quite a bit in these early films. And I always wondered why people forgot that. Uh, so again, I think people, there's just this like weird thing where what Jason ultimately became is very much what's like, you know, frozen in people's heads. And as you were yeah. alluding to earlier, I think people sometimes forget about his origins. Um, also, I, I kind of miss cops that look like this for movies too, like uh, just a schlubby dude in blue jeans, yeah. <laughs> a work shirt on with a cop badge pinned pin to it. If Jason didn't run, he probably wouldn't have got spotted there because he got spotted running across the, uh, 
the the street there. So. Yeah. yeah, it was like a Bigfoot sighting. By the way, the cop, like this image right here is his IMDb picture. And then when they crop it, all you mm-hmm. see is the shack. You don't even see him. Which I thought was a weird choice for an IMDb page. Because there's he has close-ups in this movie where you could see his face, but mm-hmm. I found that even out. the shack. I think this is like a, an element that's kind of forgotten about. Like you know, again, uh, and I like I agree that like the one odd thing about the remake. Not to keep talking about the remake, but uh, I actually really like the remake. But I know one of the odd elements, which I even I'm like, huh, is like the fact that he lives in that like tunnel system and. People point out how he kind of feels more leatherfacey in that movie, which I agree with. But I mean, it, it, it is acknowledged here that he does have living quarters, you know, and so we see he's he's got this shack he lives in in the woods. So, as we said, sometimes he's played a little bit more intelligent than you might instantly think of him. And even to my degree earlier, where I said, imagine Jason putting on a belt. Well, here we go. The reveal of Jason's toilet. So yeah. Also, take a moment and picture Jason sitting down and taking a shit because apparently that happens. Yeah, if if you're crying about the mystery of where Jason takes a shit and like demystifying him, like it's all over with right there. Like we know where mm-hmm. he shits, which I think is odd too because it's just a, like a toilet sitting on the floor. There's no plumbing there. <laughs> yeah. Like it wouldn't be better that like he shit away from his shack so he wouldn't have to smell it. You know what I mean? Well, Jason, he didn't. Uh, you know, he never got taught don't shit where you eat. You know, that's true that was that was supposed to be the week after he drowned so i gotta say too uh watching this again um i like that reveal of like because when i was a kid all i ever was like conscious of was like oh this guy's about to get a hammer in the head i did i never realized till recently that that that, that it's kind of like a i don't know what you would call it a foreshadow whatever that the reason he's kind of mesmerized there is he's seeing the mom's head sitting on the table you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. i thought that, i thought it was like a good little like when you rewatch it the second or third time you know what he's looking at there all right paul uh, the green turtleneck and the red button up shirt over it that's a that's a choice an interesting choice it is I gotta say, like, like the and girl Terry's Terry's shirt, man, really, really taking the. I don't know, man. That's yeah, <laughs> pretty impressive there. Should, did they have rap videos back then for Terry to to <laughs> model her wardrobe after? Because I gotta say, all the other girls are like literally, like they're they're practically in burkas, like they're from head to toe. They're, uh, um, you know, they're covered. Which, which, which uh, if anybody's wondering, one last uh, comment about Mignon's. Uh, I don't recommend it. It's 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 a tweener oh. film. It's I enjoy foreign films. I enjoy enjoy independent films, but it's, it's not that it's so bad. It's just not good enough for me to recommend to anybody. All right. So basically, this is like the one incident that uh, never ever will happen again in a Friday Thirteenth film, right, Trev? <laughs> And that's where, like, literally 80% of the potential victims just leave for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, they go out to a roadhouse bar, because they don't exactly say it, but they say all the real work starts tomorrow. So I'm guessing all the kids would have come to the camp the next day, right? Yeah. So it's so now that I'm looking at Wikipedia to get a sense of what these kids' names are. So the uh, so um, let's see here. Mark is in the wheelchair, yep, and that's, that's Vicky Mark. that is like trying to hook up with him. Okay, that's and Vicky. the couple okay. with the the couple with the hat is uh, Jeff and Sandra. Jeez, I um, can't. So that's talk, so wrong. <laughs> so let's, well, let's talk about like Mark and Vicky because we just saw where Vicky decided to stay behind with Mark. Yeah. Um, I really like that that relationship in this movie because Vicky has never played as someone who is doing it as a joke or doing it no. as like oh you know I'm being nice and being sympathetic. 
She just legitimately likes this guy and does not care about his, you know, his handicap. She just sees that he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, and again, I know I'm like I'm going, you know, talking about characters in a Friday Thirteenth film, but that's the thing is like these ones in this film are actually they feel real and they're and they're likable and then they're they're a good example. Um, well, well, don't you? But think I mean, but whatever. I'm going to shut up about that because we're about to we're about to get the debut of Skinny Dipping in Friday Thirteenth. So <laughs> yeah. whatever, that's more important. <laughs> but but don't you think even though like he's in a wheelchair and stuff, like they play it off as Mark is like actually the hunkiest guy there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, I wanted to talk about the parking situation at this casino slash bar, Trev. It's like it's just rows of parking of people parking in front of other people. Like there's no way for the people to get out. Like what does everybody yeah. just stay at this bar until closing time? You know what I mean? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why half of them don't come back to the camp. They just can't leave. <laughs> they can't leave. A third row. Yep. Here comes the uh, the skinny dip. And uh, mm-hmm. I gotta wonder. Formative moments for me as a young boy, man. For, formative uh, moments for me watching it again as a man in my forties. Um, I, I'm wondering if uh, like that style of shirt that she was wearing with the no bra. I wonder if that was like actually popular at the time. I don't know. Because I mean, I, I mean, I was four when man, maybe about four years old when this movie. So like, I, I wasn't really like hip to what young college age women were wearing around that time. And I haven't heard any, uh, you know, stories about it, but I would have to assume that, like, all Friday the 13th swimming, skinny dipping scenes, usually all the girls say that the the water was ice cold when they had to film it. Yeah, and they were just miserable. Yeah, a lot of them yeah. end up complaining about that. I know that happened. I'll tell you what, man, this movie definitely, there were nobody, they did not, uh, bras were certainly not of high value. No, the, they burned them. The costuming department. Yeah. And I think, I, like, again, like, you know, because when, when we kind of watch these movies, Trev, I kind of watch them as a, you know, possible time capsule of what things look like and, you know, still, you know, clothes, houses, people, whatever, hairstyles, whatever. Um, and I always wonder, like, how much of, like, what you're talking about with, like, the no bra shows, like, was this really going on? Or is this just people being like, hey, we got to sell this fucking movie? <laughs> All right, like we're not going to demand that you all get naked, but you got to at least not wear a bra. Like, was that like the compromise? Is what I'm wondering. See, these films, all the like all these scenes between um, Mark and Vicky are, are really actually cute and sweet. I, I, I think like you're almost like, oh, I do. I would just watch a movie about these two, like a, a real like romantic uh, little comedy set at this camp. Well, I gotta, but obviously we know that's not where it's going. No, and I got to be honest too, Trev. Like. I mean, I, I, like, I mean, I know Terry's your girl and everything, but she kind of does feel like feel like victim fodder here, as long with Russell Todd, who all he ever does oh, yeah. is tease her. But other than that, like, the way the film's set up and the way it treats them, Mark and Vicky, and then uh, Sandra and uh, what was his name? Jeff. Sandra and Jeff. At this point, like, because we know the other people are safe, they're at the bar or whatever. Those two couples, you're kind of wondering, like, you're not really sure, like, who's going to become, like, the main character here, like, the survivor couple or the survivor person. Like, even though I was watching this time, even though I really knew, I never had the feeling that those four people back at the cabin felt like, uh, you know, like, oh, they're going to get it so obviously, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They felt like people that, you know, any one of them could have survived till the end. But this, Do you remember those electronic uh, football and hockey games? I was just about to say that my cousin had uh, he had a couple, but the one I remember actually playing was the football one. Did you ever play one of those? 
uh, yeah, I, uh, I think my, like, I have an older brother and he had those when I was younger and I remember yeah. playing the ones he had. I don't really remember. I mean, I remember them and like, if you gave me one now, I, I, there's no way I could like pick it back up. You know, that's right. my, my memory of how to play it has left, but I certainly well, remember them being a thing. Well, it was weird too, is you like two people kind of had to hold them together, like at the same time and play it. Mm-hmm. And that was like a little hard. Well, I think there's a one player mode. There was a two player mode. Yeah. Yeah. But if you wanted to play with somebody like it was, yeah. Like, pretty much you had to sit down facing each other Indian style, from what I remember. Now, do you take it, do you think Jason set this trap that uh, he gets caught in? Or do you, because he says, like, Paul and his wilderness trap. Uh, do you think that was, you know, just a coincidence? And Jason's like, ooh, score, bonus. Or I mean, I think it has to be Jason. But then uh, th- this is, like, a dumb thing to kind of say. Um, it almost seems like it wouldn't be Jason because the rope is so clean. <laughs> in all honesty. <laughs> But okay, here here Terry goes back to uh, you know change out of her wet whatever, get some real clothes, get dried up, whatever she's doing, or no, she's looking for something to cut uh, this guy down with. But like all the light bulbs have been stolen now, and I was going to tell you like, what did you yeah. feel like? I personally like it, but what do you feel like? Jason is like a little bit of a prankster in this film. Yeah, I know, and we we get that in, like we get a sequence like that later in this one, and I always like how he he like sets up the bodies for like the victims to find. Um, it, there very much is I, I like when killers are like that it's somewhat like uh, michael myers putting on the sheet and glasses and in, in the first halloween you know uh, enjoy enjoy the job you do you know if you enjoy what you do you'll never work a day in your life exactly now uh, russell also, i can i just quickly uh, oh sorry go ahead I'll, I'll come back to that no i was just gonna say russell todd uh, got his throat slit like well, the machete being held and almost like it looked like a nike logo but like you <laughs> see it cut you see the first kind of giant gush of blood start to come out and it cut away and i gotta say again if i was making this movie i think i would have cut it just like that you know yeah i was just gonna say uh in terms of like well, that definitely looks like a, a day for night shot there it was very yeah. bright but um and we were talking about Steve Miner, you know, being a pretty, you know, like a, a good director and doing some cool stylistic stuff. And you were talking about Giallo comparisons. There was just a couple stylistic touches I really liked when she was coming back to that cabin. Um, I like when she throws like the towel right at the camera. And then that moment you're talking about where she's looking for the light bulbs, there's that really cool shot where she ducks down out of frame and then comes right up into frame looking directly at the camera. Yeah. And I know like often filmmakers are told not to do that, but I think it's really cool. Um, and even then it kind of foreshadows her death, which we just saw, what we don't see, but even there where she looks right in the camera again and screams. Um, I like those little fourth wall breaks with her. And I think that shot of her popping up in a frame in particular is, is really memorable and, and neat looking. Yeah. And like uh, when she popped up in the cabin, like, yeah, like it kind of took me off guard the other night. Cause I almost felt like that was like a weird shot that you would see in like a 3d movie or something. Yeah. Or like a De Palma film or something. Yeah. It just seems like out of place in here, but. And I, th- I think you're probably right that like how it just cuts away to her. She turns around and screams right in the camera. You know, that's where she gets killed that probably was an mpa decision even though i would have liked to seen what happened to her um at the same time i thought that was a great edit to like go from her scream or whatever to like mm-hmm. the the hard cut into the guy playing the guitar i thought that like yeah. actually worked really well as an edit i mean i'm not sure do we see her body later because if not yeah, my head cannon is we do okay well never mind i was gonna say maybe my head cannon could just allow her to have gotten away but never mind yeah because she's kind of like laying there and she's kind of like was one of the ones that kind of like looks the more rotted so i guess we should say i can't remember did uh jason's mom like like stack up all the bodies in the first one yeah Okay. Yeah, I think the same thing happens because like one of them swings down, right? So. Yeah, that's like another trope that kind of came or whatever is like when the the killer stashes the bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think probably Halloween started that because like Michael was always posing bodies and stashing bodies. Yeah, this is where you realize it's it's not uh, what you say politically correct when uh, 
they're talking about Jason here at the bar, and she calls yeah. him a frightened retard. You yeah. probably wouldn't say that now. No. I remember, uh, I think Tom Savini, I think, with the makeup of the first one, said, oh, this is what a mongoloid looks like, which... That's very questionable. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that is what a mongoloid person looks like. But that's neither here nor there. You know, seeing this bar, which is, looks like a or sorry, casino apparently. It's a casino. Um, a pretty rocking place. I'm surprised the franchise. Um, you know, we don't really come back to this location. I think in any of the sequels, but oh. knowing that it's there, I'm surprised that they were able to avoid the uh, what we ultimately get in like you know the Halloween sequels of. Uh, one of the survivors getting to this casino and telling everyone's happening and all the locals grabbing their shotguns and going on the hunt for, for Jason. That would be dope. Yeah. Cause I mean, you certainly, I mean, I love this franchise. As I said, it's my favorite franchise, but you know, a little later into the run for a bit, you can, you kind of get into like rote territory where all the films are very much the same. And it's just surprising that they didn't explore various things like that. Right. Of trying to up the body count with more locals getting involved or just exploring the town a little more. Even um, Alice's death at the beginning, we don't see Jason kill someone in the suburbs again all the way until Freddy vs. Jason is the right. next time we, we get something like that. And that that's what I mean. Like, I always enjoyed the first couple Friday the 13th movies. Like, I feel like part three really lays down what the franchise is and, you know, hits the formula right. But, I mean, at the same time, I like, I'm not, like, that, like, excited by formulas that I think, like, a movie that doesn't follow the formula is like necessarily bad or not as good like i think you know it, it spiced things up that some of these early entries are you know different well that's all to, so like when people like these long-running franchises right the the friday the 13th the nightmare on Elm streets the hellraisers the, and the, the somewhat to a lesser degree texas Chainsaw massacre but certainly the halloweens the, those franchises you know why they live on is because they they were made by people who weren't intending it to be a franchise and so every time you made a new sequel you had new people coming in to write it and just weird ideas getting thrown around and a, only a little amount of time to crank it out and so you end up with all these strange things like well i guess let's send jason to manhattan now or let's uh, have him fight a psychic uh you know and that ultimately you end up with such weird sequels that all of those are going to be somebody's favorite it also makes it very fun to debate the whole series and rank them and re-rank them. And I think now the tendency with horror sequels is always, and you see it even in the fan base. And that's what surprises me is the fans want the movies to try and maintain this like very consistent, strong level of quality. And obviously I get that to a certain degree, but the varying quality and the wacky, like, you know, shots, it's trying something different is exactly what makes these so fun. And I kind of miss that. I wish we were, like you take a series like Sinister, right, where the second film was kind of a letdown because it was just basically redoing the, the same thing. Um, I would love to see like Sinister in space, you know, and just that that's or Sinister in the hood. Like get back to that kind right. of craziness in like a long running series. No, I, I agree 100 percent. Like I feel like, you know, the experience, I, I would say just basically the genre should be enough to pull you into the, you know, mm-hmm. into the experience or whatever you know, going to the theater, renting the DVD, whatever it is. And I think, like, it, it actually kind of is the filmmaker's job to make something that, I won't even necessarily say that, you know, thematically your story has to be, like, standalone, but it has to be unique, you know what I mean? Yeah, yep. Like, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Now, obviously, there's no way for you or I to really know this, because we were either babies are not born when these first couple friday the 13th movies came out but um these are clearly youth market i'd say films 
And what do you think? I'm just curious. What do you what do you have to guess? Like at the time, like not now that we have like all the cult fans and we have people who dress up and all that. But at the time, with these being you know, quote unquote, lowest common denominator type films, what do you think was drawing in the youth audience more back then with these films, Trev? The nudity or the 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 violence? I really think it, I, I don't think there's an answer to that. I really think it was the combination of the two. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I guess if I had to put one slightly above the other, I'd say the violence, because ultimately the thing that was attracting youth to this at the time was in a pre-internet era when, you know, you just had like TV as your only like other, you know, recourse to watch stuff. The, the taboo element of being able to go see really violent stuff, I think, is what made it fun on like a transgressive level to a certain degree, because there was other kind of movies you could go see for nudity. But the but the the violence was something really like this level of violence was pretty unique to slasher films at the time. But ultimately I think it's a combination of the two because it was that like that was people just thought it was fun to be like, Ooh, I'm watching something I shouldn't. And that's why I know when I was young, like that was the whole thing is it was not just teenagers. It was younger than teenager kids who wanted to see these films and were going and renting the videos and, you know, waiting till their parents weren't around and watching them in the basement with their friends. And, and yeah, it's that, it's that combination of both things. So the rather nudity draw people draw, drew more people in, but the or I'm sorry, the violence drew more people in, but the nudity was what people were pausing on their VCRs more often. Yeah, like in a weird way, I want to say maybe the nudity is what maybe the nudity is what really attract like the younger like when I mean younger, I mean like people who weren't even old enough supposedly to see these films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. when like you're like a nine year old boy, as much as you want to see violence, you actually want to you kind of do have more of a curiosity of uh, nudity and you know females because like i remember like yeah you like watch stripes you watch porkies just for like those two seconds of boob shots you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i like that little detail of vicky spraying the perfume down her underwear yeah i was gonna say like when she did that i was like this girl has class (laughs) but the like the because i never really stayed at like a cabin cabin i mean i kind of did but it was more like an a-frame house type cabin uh like old school cabins always had those like those like window shutter doors and like maybe you know this maybe you don't travel what were those used for i always assumed they were used for storms but then again like usually those cabins don't have blinds so maybe they were just meant to close like when you wanted privacy yeah i don't know because I, I in my head i've always called them storm windows so right maybe, uh, that's what i just thought of too <laughs> but it's like for the storm is like what difference does it really make unless you're like really obsessed with like shit flying in and like breaking the window you know what i mean i have to say mm-hmm. I, one thing i will like kind of excuse trev is i do like inconvenient stormy weather in, in horror movies i like it <laughs> mm-hmm. just like when it, when it just starts raining and thundering just for really the only reason is this is the set the scary mood you know what i mean yeah yeah it doesn't even like because you said inconvenient, but it really doesn't like affect anyone in any way. It's, no. it's just for setting. <laughs> yeah. Really set. Okay, here we have the 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 kind of kill that always stuck in my mind from this movie when I was a kid. Pretty much. Oh yeah. Is that and I and I, I want to say it's so effective because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Is uh well because it's almost like a cheat, right? It's but it's a it's yeah. it's the kind of cheat you like in a film like this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already forgetting the guy's name. Like on a stylistic level, because of the way that. Mark. Yeah. Mark, Mark, yeah. I'm sorry, Chuck. Go ahead. The the way it sets it up here with the style. Is... No, I was saying like the way like the way the camera is moving sets up your expectation one way, 
but then where it comes from, right? See that right there. You think he's coming from behind him, but then the slash comes from the front, and that's just a good cinematic trick, right? Like it's like Miner knows what he's doing. Now, what do you feel about the freeze frame there, though? That's always kind of I, I was, don't know, strange. I was... It is strange because he takes the machine. By the way, he takes this is the second kill, which I don't think Jason ever did this ever again in the other ones because he's really got a really curved machete in this one. But he 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 kind of like doesn't ever cut anybody with the side you think he would. He always cuts it with the backside. He puts it right into Mark's face, and the Mark goes down the stairs, and like that always stuck out to me as a kid. And to be honest, mm-hmm. even watching it now, I I can't ever really tell if it's a dummy in the chair or a stunt guy or what. But I think the freeze frame, as cool as it is stylistically, and it feels very much like in the tone and style of like this type of filmmaking at the time, I kind of always thought it was like that's where the stunt went wrong, meaning just like the thing flipped over and you realize it was either a dummy or it was a stunt guy and not the actual actor who played Mark or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I assume is I feel like it's probably it's almost certainly a dummy and it probably like anything beyond that looked too, too obvious or something. Um, by the way, we just saw Jason like, you know, look at that Halloween mask and just discard it. Um, so he, ha- he has certain tastes, right? Because we yeah. know the next one, he likes the hockey mask, but that one was not doing it for him. Yeah, he fucking hated that mask. And what I thought was funny, it was like he intentionally threw it down on the steps and then he walked up the steps. So then you got to see the mask again. <laughs> okay, so this is the, the scene that supposedly was, you know, cut to comprehension, you know, whatever, being incoherent, I guess you should say. But I. I don't know, man. Like the, the way uh, Sandra saw him coming and started to scream. Like I kind of like it all made sense to me. Like I know there was yeah. more to be shown of it. I guess I don't know, but it, to me it worked. And like well, and I, also like I, it, let's let's not we should talk about too. And this has certainly been discussed a lot, but it's just completely ripped off from Mario Baba's A Bay of Blood. So if you leave it like uncensored, all you're doing is making that more apparent. Because if right. you're a died in the wool horror fan, you already have seen that death. I mean, right. it's just like, it's taken right from that. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, like literally there's videos, there's whatever comparisons out there. Like it's like, literally I've seen them side by side. It's, it's like shot for shot. Yeah. I don't know why. And maybe I'm just totally, cause like you said, it was, you know, inspired by Mario Baba, but like, to me, too, like the like that gag was always a little bit of a repeat, or always like a little bit whatever of homage, I guess you will. It always reminded me of when Kevin Bacon gets the throat and uh, the arrow in the throat in part one, kind of. Yeah, for sure. I love this little moment here where Stu Charno asks the old guy if there's after hours place, and then he immediately turns around in a sarcastic jerk way impersonates the old guy. Yeah. Yeah, it tells you a lot about his character. But ultimately, one of the smarter characters in the entire franchise. Yeah, because he... Yeah, for sure. Just just doesn't go back. I mean, I wonder what... It, like. Also, are there any after-hours places? Isn't that casino an after-hours place? It oh, sure yeah. seems like it's not closing down anytime soon. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, like, there's, like, some... assume he's asking if there's a whorehouse. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, I mean, what else could it be? Somebody running a speakeasy out of their basement? I mean, <laughs> this is a small town, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, that that mask gets that a lot of screen time. For, yeah, for it to never really yeah. be used. Now, unfortunately, yeah, Vicky's uh, walking through here uh, looking for Mark, and she's uh, going to kind of discover what's going on. I guess technically, yeah, she is the first one to kind of you know because that's like a big thing in Friday films is people one by one stumbling onto what's going on here, and she's like, we're almost at the end of this movie really and she's the first one to figure it out 
Now, what do you, I love this moment. What do you think of Jokester, uh, you know, Jason here hiding in the bed? Yeah, I, I love it. That's when I said earlier that there are certain things that, that are, are uncharacteristic of him in this film compared to the others that I like. That's definitely one of them. I, I like how playful he is, and then soon we'll get into other stuff. Um, I mean, I can just kind of spoil it, but I kind of like how uncoordinated and um, clumsy he is in this movie, which I think yeah. makes him, like more realistic as a slasher and create some interesting sequences boy that that shot of the knife him holding up the knife that that was pure giallo to me right there yeah i was wondering what happened to his thumb i was was gonna say say, yeah that from the first time i've seen it to the 20th time i've seen that movie this movie it it always kind of like you know and what do you think trev of this shot right here of just like that driveway i feel like it's repeated a lot on purpose just like you mean the establishing shot? Yeah, yeah, like how they drive in, they're driving away. Like there's a I mean, it was a giant camp and like I don't think it was just out of laziness or whatever, but it's just like I think it's intentional that they show that little area like over and over and over. Mhm. This this is like see that's what I mean about this being a censored movie. Like just the shots of of her feet or whoever's feet that was getting dragged down the steps, just little things like that. To me, this film is more like it's like uh, like paper cuts or or stuff going underneath your fingernails. It's more that kind of like brutal as opposed to like watching a head just get demolished. You know what I mean? Well, even like her death in general, like the fact that he before he killed her, he just slashed her leg, and you saw yeah. how painful that was for her. I mean, like those kind of moments are what hurt more watching these movies, right? Instead of like the yeah. immediate death. And ultimately, too, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier how some of these how some of those deaths are actually heartbreaking. Like to me, like Mark and Vicky's because I like them so much as characters and because you felt really good for him that this girl actually liked him despite his handicap. Like the fact that they both got slaughtered before even seeing each other again and never hooked up. Like I, I, their, their deaths are two of the more like depressing deaths in the series to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jeff and Sandra, whatever. Like they're kind of more just like generic victims to me. But, but Mark and Vicky. Well, uh, yeah, Sandra and Jeff. Like, they have a decent amount of screen time compared to the other characters. Uh, and I kind of like them. They're more on the second tier characters in this film. I kind of like them, but at the same time, I kind of was, like, waiting to learn more about them. And we just never really quite learned that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I got to say, again, going back to the whatever, not falling, you know, the, the, the tropes not being set quite in concrete here. I don't know about you, Trev, but I love this scene right here. With uh, where they're trying to get the lights back on, I just love the little moment here where Jenny, uh, Amy Steele, is like tells him, "Paul, there's somebody in this room," you know. Yeah. And then Jason pops out with the spear. Like, and here, look at this struggle. Like this fight scene, it's like so. Like Jason is so spastic here, right? Yeah. Like he he's this indestructible machine in later sequences, and here he's having like a hard time like wrestling Paul, and that's and that's what I like. Like at this level, Jason is still just a guy who can kill you. But what I like about this is you feel like you have a shot against him. And that's something that was lost in the sequels. Like in the sequels, you're just always like, well, these people have no chance. Yeah. And, and here, like, you know, he's just a, he's just a home invader, essentially a murderous home invader that you can take if you're lucky. Now the last couple of minutes here, we've gotten some actual good looks at Jason. Cause before we were always just saw feet. And then that one shot of when he ran across the street. So we never like looked at him, looked at him. Now that we looked at him, Trev, this is what I thought. I don't know if you disagree or what, but it, you know, as he's been known from the fans, whatever the years, quote unquote, tater sack, Jason. I think that was inspired by the town, the dreaded sundown. 
Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah. It's now, a good look, though. I mean, it's, uh, you know, obviously I prefer the hockey mask, but as you say, it's, it's, a, it's just a good, creepy, uh, killer look. Yeah. I think there's also something just in our ingrained national conscience, too, that a killer with that kind of, you know, sack over their head brings to mind, like, the KKK and things. It's just, yeah. obviously, that's not, there's, there's, I'm not saying there's, like, a race commentary that's by any means, but, you know, just lynching in general and the, the brutality and horror of that, um, so, yeah, there's just something about that look that is always scary. Yeah, I mean, if you see any, I don't care if it's like right now, tonight, you take a walk around your neighborhood. If you see somebody walking down the street with a sack on their head like that, like, you kind of immediately know it's somebody with bad intentions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it, it's like. Much more so than someone wearing a goalie mask. I mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it's, it's really kind of like, it's really kind of like, this is the, like, I'm unstable, I'm whatever, I'm crazy, I'm sp- spontaneous this is the bare minimum of what i had to put over my fucking head to do something you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like now that was a good moment how you're talking about how spastic he is i always wonder if that little ledge on the window was supposed to break when she fell off and again like as far as i'm i'm pretty sure like coming out the window because you can see her face here that was all amy doing that shit yeah but it's it's like a one or so and we get some more Jason stunts here. Should we go into the controversy you think about Jason in this film? Like the, the talking actors? about the Steve Dash Warrington yeah. Gillette controversy. To me, it's not even controversy. As far as I know, and the research I've done, and what I've seen is it's really. I'll, I'll put the country. I'm almost willing to put the controversy to bed and say it's just Warrington Gillette um, being full of shit about how much he yeah. says he played Jason in this. Um, to me, Steve Dash is is Jason in this film. But it's like I agree with you that. But I also kind of, like, I guess I'm just more diplomatic. Because, as you know, there's also two Creature from the Black Lagoons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, fortunately, that never, like, really came to blows type of argument about it. <laughs> but, like, I would be happy to get, like, an autograph from either one of the guys. You know, like, for Creature from the Black Lagoon, there's one guy that kind of played them on land. And one guy that did the underwater swimming. To me, they're both Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's what I was, I mean, ultimately, if you're one of those, like, if you are dead set on getting, like, an autograph from every Jason, right? Then yeah. you're, you're obviously the the answer to this one would to get that eight by ten of Tater Sack Jason and just have both Steve Dash and Warrington Gillette sign it. Yeah, like like if you're going to get like a better yet a poster of Friday Two signed by as many people on it as you could, like I would say like in order to be complete, you'd have to have both guys sign it. In my mind, yeah. But I mean, ultimately, as far as I'm aware, Warrington Gillette is only jason in the in the the final shot of him the, the coming through right. the window right and i mean I, without going deep into the woods it, it was you know it, it was uh one guy was better at stunts than the other basically is what it boiled down to and then the other guy just yeah. did the and heavy ultimately, makeup. jason ultimately jason is pretty much a stuntman's role you know yeah um Obviously, the actor most associated with it is Kane Hodder, but Kane Hodder, let's not forget, is first and foremost a stuntman, uh, you know, who's just a stuntman with some acting chops. So, well, I shouldn't say just, that sounds mean, but yeah. you know what I mean. He's very proud of being a stuntman, and, and that's what you want to cast for Jason. Always is You can get someone who's an actor, but also they need to have a stunt background. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Steve Dash passed away the last couple of years, so. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think, was it? 
I think there's one. I think <laughs> there too. Now Jason takes a dive at her and just collapses. I know. Yeah, I was gonna say I like Jason's chasing. I like this whole segment of the film where like they're basically mm-hmm. just hiding from each other. Well, he's not hiding yeah, no, from her, is, but you know, it's this basically... is one of the best. This is one of the best like um, final sequences of. I think like the, like part two and part three both have a really good like cat and mouse chasing fighting sequence between the final girl and Jason. I agree. And, and, like, this isn't even, like, some grand, like, whatever. It's really, like, almost like a montage of, like, cutting back and forth between them running, the moon, POV shots. Like, I mean, it's it's simple stuff, but I think it works. And we should say the, the music, too. I mean, I think the music is pretty good in pretty, mu- in pretty much all the movies. But it kind of, you know, listening to this cranked up or whatever the other night it kind of stood out to me is is how good the music was in this one which i don't know how much of it was a retread of the first one but uh i don't know like i like i thought uh because it's man for didi doing this one too right yeah yeah like i think he did like especially through that chase section i think the music's pretty strong mm-hmm. yeah his score would end up like as you got into some of the later films his score would end up being like um very repetitive and sometimes it wouldn't fit the new tone they were going for but yeah. in these early ones, it's it's still dead on and, and really effective. Now, Goat, I want to ask you a big question. It's been a long, um, uh, you know, topic of debate for Friday the 13th fans. Go for so it. we're at the sequence now where Ginny is hiding under the bed from Jason. And then um, in a moment, she gets spooked by a mouse, as mm-hmm. we've seen here, running along. And then we see um, some urine come out from under the bed. Yeah. Is, do you take it that Ginny peed because the mouse scared her, and or she's just scared of the situation, or is that the mouse peeing? No, it's definitely the mouse peeing. And okay. if, if if you want to ask the way, granted, it's a lot of urine to come out from a mouse. Yeah, but, and it's like why? How Jason noticed a mouse peeing? That's interesting. Yeah. But and the reason I know that is they actually filmed that shot in the house I live in right now. So. I did, I did the research. No, but but if you look at where the mouse is geographically, he's the mouse is on the corner of the bed, and then the mm-hmm. pee comes out of the corner of the bed. If Jenny peed, the 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 it would come out like the end of the bed, not the corner of the bed. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I get you. I always wonder like, is it supposed to be the other corner of the bed that we're not seeing? But okay, there again, I love. That Jason is, first of all, trying to be sneaky, hiding up on the chair, and then he just didn't think it through, and the chair instantly breaks under him, and he falls. And like to me, that always makes me laugh, but again, I, it makes Jason seem very human and very, like, he's, he hasn't perfected his job yet, right? He's not very good at it yet. Well, I like the, yeah, well, I just like the whole amount of whimsy that's involved in this, because he, he was ready to walk out of the room until he saw the rat piss, okay? So if that mm-hmm. rat would have never pissed... Which I don't even know, like why he would think a rat pissing would indicate that somebody was even under there. But I guess he just had a hunch. Yeah. So then he got on that rickety. Which, by the way, it did look like a rickety chair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just kind of like it was believable that once he started to move and swing the little uh, pitchfork, whatever, it could possibly go off balance and break like that. But um, yeah, I, I I liked all that through there. And I gotta say, this final chase. Um, I don't know how much experience you have with the Trev. But this final chase kind of reminded me the most of um, that Friday the 13th video game that's out, the more current one. I've never played that. I would love to, but I don't. I don't have. I'm not like a big gamer anymore, so I don't have any like the current systems the that, ones, that, yeah. that game's on. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it it's uh, I got it a few months ago, and unfortunately, it's it's a lot like um, it's a lot like the game Dead by Daylight, and uh, I think the biggest difference is like Jason's very. Uh, I don't know if hard to control is the right word, but he's very slow. 
See, like, see how the motherfucker's running right there? You cannot run in that game. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good shot though too. I like how you see him running in the, in the oh. hole through the wall there. It's great. Yeah, it was brilliant. Like when that shot came up the other night, I was like, "Damn, that's good." I mean, and even when they're in close corners in that cabin where the rat pissed and he fell off the 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 thing. Yeah, there's Terry down there, Trev. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all that I want to give credit to the DP and everything because like there's nothing. They're in close quarters. The camera's constantly moving. There is nothing that is shaky or shitty looking in this entire movie. It's very well done. What do you think about the fact that the the mother's head here looks so much different than the head we saw in the opening sequence with uh, Alice? Yeah, I didn't. I'll be honest, I didn't really get that. The only the only reason I'm thinking, I, I guess, you know, this isn't really a spoiler because it doesn't happen in the film. But what I was talking about with the ending being chopped up and shitty was um, the ending that they that they didn't end up using because it looked stupid. Was that head at the end? uh they had a lady like that like there's no i don't think there's any lady in there now but the lady was supposed to open her eyes so i think i think it was just Mm -hmm. they filmed those two bits separate they made one head and then they realized in order to do that ending which they end up not using they had to make the head look like this for continuity you know what i mean yeah now here's an interesting so first of all big ups to alice for instantly coming up with this plan and thinking this would work that's pretty clever of her but um jenny it's not also i Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I see a lot of people still often say that Betsy Palmer is only in the first film, and it's very forgotten that, no, she did come back and film these new scenes for, yeah. for part two, where she's like the vision that he's seeing. Yeah. I mean, it's not much, but, you know, she for someone who was so bitter about the franchise for a long time afterwards until she started, you know, making con appearances and realizing that there was money to be made. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she did do two of them. By the way, Trev, I love how I instantly corrected you when I when I yeah. and I can't remember anybody's no, name the entire time. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. As a as a Friday Thirteenth fan, I'm glad you corrected me. I'm I, I'm almost embarrassed that I made that mistake. Well, also too is like it's like I find it hard to call her uh, Jenny because Amy Steele sounds more like a a, a final girl yeah. name more than Jenny does. Yeah. I always want to call her by a real name. Now I gotta I say, wish, I wish I could have been in one of these films, man. Because you just like you're you for the rest of your life, you can go to. Well, conventions don't exist anymore, but yeah, uh, before COVID, man, you could just always spend the rest of your life. Even if you were like victim number two, you know, you, there's people out there who want you to sign a poster. I, I was about to say that because if you look, especially more on some of the later entries, well, really in the first ones too, like there are people that are in a Friday Thirteenth movie and we're never in anything ever again. Yeah. <laughs> like, now I gotta I gotta say like uh, you know watching this again, I'm a little bummed that something more didn't happen there because what happens is they go she goes through that whole elaborate ruse to put on Jason's mom's sweater and t- and kind of talk the way she thinks you know and Jason hallucinates and you know he sees his mom even though it's her and um, can you imagine being like Terry, the actress, just laying there for that shot? <laughs> like weeks later after you're done filming. But sorry, uh, like it kind of sucks that like she didn't get to nail him then. Like it all just got botched. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's another sequence I feel is like it's done better later. And, like it, it's done better in like both part four and then eventually in the remake. Um, yeah. Just with the benefit of hindsight, you know, knowing how to work that a little better. No, Jason gets his machete very deep into his shoulder, and like you said, he's 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 not a supernatural killer in this film. Uh, he won't be for a couple more films, really. Um, but I gotta say, I 
it always bothers me that it's like a little unbelievable how deep he gets it there and the fact that like he doesn't die from that like i wish it just would have been like a little higher up on his shoulder to where it wouldn't have gone in so deep well i mean he takes some i mean like the head wound he gets in part three the fact that that's you know that doesn't do him in and you know to to part four uh so you know he's not supernatural but he's definitely eh, you know they're they're skirting the line a little bit there he's he's a pretty tough son of a bitch yeah now um i don't know i don't know how much we want to go into this so we know how jason looks in part one and we know well we don't know right now but in a second in a couple minutes here we'll see what he looks like in part two what do you what do you think about you know we know the sh- the head shape which changes throughout the films but we know there's something up with one of jason's eyes like basically where we were you know it's intimated through this film with only one hole being cut into the sack that only one of his eyes mm-hmm. works like like how do you feel about that touch because i'll be honest i find it like a little unnecessary and just kind of goofy I mean, I, I like it only that I, I always like the visual of, especially later when he's got the hockey mask and there are two eye holes, but you only yeah. ever see the one eye and the, the other eye is just always pure black or in shadow. That's why I like it. Um, so I think it's fairly inconsistent. I want to say maybe even between films that they might even change which eye is the good one. <laughs> I'm okay. not sure that's always <laughs> always consistent. And I guess I said he, he doesn't have an he doesn't have a consistent look throughout all the films. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you have this too. I remember it was like uh, in part seven. When she tears his mask off with her powers, and you get like mm-hmm. a really good look at him as like zombie Jason. And I remember yeah. there being a lot of talk when I was a kid, where like, this is the movie where you finally see his face. Then you think like, well, no, you see his face in every single movie. Right. There's always at least one shot where you do. But for some reason, I think people forget those a lot. Um, but yeah, what do you? Th- I mean, we'll get to it in a second, I guess. But what's your overall opinion on Jason's look in this film? I gotta say, and, it, and it's hard for me to whatever because I kind of like his look in in each film, like the way he's mm-hmm. represented. But I got to say, as a makeup, I love this look. Like, it almost looks like, uh, it reminds me of, like, what you would have seen in, like, Toby Hooper's The Fun House. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a really cool look. I'm just not sure I like it for Jason. Um, right. It looks like he would be, like, the the coolest killer in, like, a wrong turn movie. But uh, No, that's exactly like, what it looks like. And I think it goes yeah. back to what we were saying about shit just not being established yet at this point. Yeah. And them just kind of... Well, I'm just really not sure, like, why it was established enough in the first one with the bald head. I don't know why they gave him long hair in this. Like, that's just a, like yeah. a strange touch. But... And in the amount of hair, because there are some like later iterations of Jason that have some like wispy stray hairs. But he's, yeah. I mean, the one side of his face is like all fucked up, but the other side is pretty much like regular hair coming out. Yeah, it's even growing. He's like rocking a beard in this one too. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, I totally forgot he's got a beard. I, like I think it's a good look, and here's here's why. They totally sell you know the reality of part two, and to justify him being alive, they totally sell him as being a mountain man. So I mean, to me, the, it works in the continuity of this mm-hmm. one, you know. Yeah. But yeah, man, that that uh, as Polly Shore would say, that melon is fully tweaked. I love the stories of how they did this stunt, where he basically weren't they basically just like swung him in on a rope through that window. And I gotta say too, because they said the he said the original time, like the first time, they didn't really score like the wood, so he just bounced <laughs> off. And then later, he claims to have had a head injury, and I'm wondering if that was it, like just flying into a wood wall like that. But um, but it, here's where the ending gets fucky because it's it's awesome, and as a kid, you always remember the awesome moment where Jason flew through the. Uh, 
the window and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it has to do with the mechanism of the stunt and the whatever. But, like, nothing really happens. He just kind of bear hugs her. And it's like, that's the ending of the movie. Do you think that was a young Roy? Is that paramedic right there? Oh, I know it was. Yeah. That was before he was traumatized. That's where he got the idea from, I'd say. Okay, so here's here's the moment. And it's, it's obvious what was supposed to happen. They zoom in on the head. And, like... Right before it opens its eyes, they just free fra- freeze frame it. Mm-hmm. You can even see the eye, the one eye starting to twitch a little That's bit. That's what I thought when I watched it the other day, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Now, like, okay, we, we get the effect when the eyes opened. Okay, it didn't really work, so they cut it out, whatever. But why even show that shot again? Like, okay, yeah, we, we know that head's sitting in the woods somewhere. It's like, what does that mean anywhere? You know what I mean? And Yeah. And according to them, with the eye popping back open, which I don't even think I would really get out of this. But it would have been the same ending where she just wakes up. Jason grabs her. She wakes up. She's saying, where's Paul? And then they zoom in on that eye opening up. And supposedly the filmmakers thought that the eye opening up would signal to you that Jason had killed Paul. But I don't know. I don't really know if that's like whatever because. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, just make, that makes no sense. Yeah, because I was kind of shocked because I watched the special features after I watched the movie. And to me, it was like, well, Paul was just in a different ambulance. Or he was in a different whatever. Like, to me, Jason jumped. What do you think, Trev? Did Jason really jump through the window? Because I don't think he really did. I think it was just the same as, like, when he got Alice at the end of part one. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess I always have taken it that he did jump through the window. Because my assumption is always that he, like, Paul, like, fought him off again or something. But she got knocked out in the process. Um right. But that's the thing is, I mean, it is as much as I as I love this film, I guess now is the time to say, uh, I don't know if you want to go deep into like my rankings or anything, but this is this is my third favorite of the series. Um, overall, it's it's pretty high up for me. But um, the mystery of Paul at the end is, is definitely one of the ones that hangs with me of like, hmm, that's odd. <laughs> like, yeah, just because never... I like I just jumped to the conclusion that he didn't jump through the window for the simple fact that like, OK, if he did jump through the window. And then he kills Paul. Like, I don't think he would leave Jenny alive. Like, I just don't think he would. You know what I mean? Well, unless him and Paul, like, kept fighting out, you know, and, like, their battle went somewhere else. But Right. I don't know. It's a, it's a thread that's never picked up on. They were definitely, in these early Friday the 13th films, they were definitely always having a hard time coming up with endings. I feel like they just a lot of the endings kept getting changed around because, you know, they set this precedent with the the shock of the of the first film, which they've you know admitted was only in the first film because they wanted to replicate the end of Carrie and how much they saw that final jump scare got everybody. But then they kept trying to think of like how to do that. So as you said, we had the eye opening in this one. Then I'm sure you know like the discarded surprise twist ending of the third one, which I'm really glad they dropped with, uh, you know, redoing the, the Jason jumping from the water, but doing it with Mrs. Voorhees in part three. It's just like they kept coming up with these ideas and them never really working the right way. Um, and ultimately, I'm glad that like they decided to just drop that from later sequels. So they didn't have to have that final little boo all the time. Yeah, because I feel like the final little boo really only works if you don't think it's coming. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, it just just kind of weird. I don't know. And it also they come up with that final boo and then they always just have to disregard it in the next one because it like never really sets up the next thing yeah well i think too is like like let's say alice didn't come back at the beginning of this one then maybe you could think like oh maybe jason really did get her or the ghost of jason got her like that was another thing i wrestled with too as a kid being like um 
is there a ghost of Jason? Is that who it really is? But then when he goes from being alive to undead, then that kind of wipes out that he's a ghost type thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now, I don't know. But did, when you were younger, did you always did you ever dream of? Because I certainly did of like when you got really further along into this series. I was, you know, because you had like so kind of like Star Trek. <laughs> I know it's an odd comparison, but people always talk about how like Star Trek two, three, and four are like a mini trilogy within a larger series. Yeah. And then you get that with this one where you get the Tommy Jarvis trilogy in the middle. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the only three that have like a very strongly connected character besides Jason as a through line. I remember when I was like when I was younger and we're getting to the later films and it was clear they were kind of running out of things to do. I was always really hoping they would do one that would bring back like all the living final girls, right? Yep. Of them all kind of like coming back for revenge, showing they're all, you know, trying to get over their trauma by coming back and trying to stop him once and for all. That's something I feel like we really like an opportunity we, we missed out on. I guess you could still do it. Make maybe that will be the final like what we're still waiting for the thirteenth Friday the thirteenth film, which is odd, but um yeah, that'd be a cool take on it, I think. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you can't bring back Alice because she died, but I was going to say, like, recent photos I see a lot, and and it's always cool to see them pose in photos together, but you see a lot Amy Steele, and, uh, damn, what's what's Alice's real name? I know it, but I'm blanking. Adrian King. Yeah, Adrian King. Adrian King, another great stage name. But, um, yeah, like, like you could definitely, like, you know, because kind of like in part, part four, how that one guy comes back and he's hunting Jason. I feel like that, like that would have played better if it was Amy Steele mm-hmm. who, who came back to be like, be like, you know, to get revenge of like all my friends got killed, whatever. Cause I would think that the, the survivors, like you said, like, like once they, you know, once they get word that, that there's still murders coming, uh, you know, going on at Crystal Lake or whatever, like they're going to know it's Jason. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll take you one further. I think if you, yeah, I think you're right. It could have been Amy Steele, but it also could have been Paul. You could have had it to be finally yeah. answered that question and, and had Paul come back and say, yeah, I remember when, you know, this happened to me before. And in fact, the girl I like was like driven insane by it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, cause, cause I mean, like we said, we, you know, we pondered all our theories and what we kind of thought over the years of the inconsistencies of Friday the 13th, but like, I'm not going to lie. Like, Really, more this particular viewing, other than other viewings I've had of this, um, yeah, like, and I just kind of rewatched all these early ones, like, maybe a year and a half ago, so it's not like it's been, like, ten years since I've seen them or whatever, but this particular viewing, that Paul shit bugged me, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found it just kind of like, oh, like, it's one thing if you, like, I, I get you had to cheat and retcon the mythology in order to cr- just create a part two, okay, fine, whatever, that is what it is. But just when the actual in the you know within the film storytelling gets that sloppy, I'm kind of like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's like I, I I love this franchise, and I think to me, in retrospect, part of what I love about it is the the sloppiness and the inconsistency because it makes it fun to talk about. And in fact, when like I said, there was a I ran like a series of reviews on these years ago, and. I had a nitpick patrol section where for every film I'd point out all the, the continuity problems and the inconsistencies, especially when it gets even worse as you get into later ones and they start banking like crazy time jumps that don't make any sense and things like that. But uh, yeah. it's it's like both an albatross around the series neck, but it's also kind of fun as a, as a fan because it gives you something to pick a, pick apart and then write your little fan fiction stories about how you kind of explain those things away. I mean, that's even ultimately why we got things like um, – you know, when Jason goes to hell, it's just a fun little Easter egg. They have the Necronomicon in Mrs. Voorhees' home, 
Yeah. And then you get fans saying, well, like, great, well, great, because now the idea that she's like a, you know, a, like a Satanist who has a Necronomicon explains how Jason came back to life because she did some spell on him when he was young. So I don't know. It's it's goofy, but ultimately part of the part of the enjoyment of being a horror franchise fan. No, I agree. And it's like I feel like also too the later and later you get into the sequels, the more you kind of have to throw gasoline on the fire a little bit to keep it going. So, I mean, you know. Like, I know you're talking about, like, your rankings and stuff of the the franchise, Trev, and, like, I really don't know what my rankings are, honestly. Um, I think you, I think for the most part, like, I mean, I will say I think it's just a standalone piece of entertainment to sit down and watch. I'm, and it's more of a recent thing, I've gotten more into part three than, you know, whatever. But, like, I'm also a big cheerleader, man, of part one and two, and, uh. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know whether to say part one or two are the most underrated in the franchise. I, I feel I like think I, I, if you think that, I think you probably have to go with part one because I think yeah. part two, actually, in recent years in particular, has had almost like a Halloween three ish resurgence where I, I see like the horror fandom really championing part two a lot more nowadays. Yeah, because I, I feel like I feel like the first film was just completely written off for so long just because Jason wasn't the killer in it. See, I'm not a big fan of the first one. I think we talked about it last time when we did yeah. that commentary. I, my problem with the first one ultimately is that I, I think I think it does its, itself a disservice by playing itself as a mystery, mm-hmm. but completely cheating the mystery of not giving you any indication of <laughs> that, that who that true. could be until she comes up and just says in exposition who she is. That is true. So that's ultimately why it bothers me. So I like that from this one on, it's never a mystery anymore. You know who the killer is, and you can just put that aside yeah i guess, I guess i'm giving more like I, I understand what you mean about the way it's explained i think i'm just giving more credit to uh part one in terms of uh just the actual story like coming up with the concept of like okay like that, that's a neat little because like the, the the giallos a lot of them that i've seen they are kind of like that just in terms of um when it all gets it revealed because like you really don't know why people are getting killed usually with those in for like the first half or three fourths and like when it does get revealed, it does get like kind of out of left field type yeah. feeling. You know? Yeah, I mean that's that's often true. I will say one thing: Giallo's do a little better. Is at least the at least some of the better ones is when the reveal comes. It's usually so ridiculous that that's what makes it entertaining or funny. The eventual motive is like what? <laughs> like it's just like it it makes no sense. I um, mean that's like part one is ultimately just kind of a pedestrian revenge story, and so yeah. that's why I wonder why it's why it's set up the way it is, but. But yeah, part two also I just I vote you know like like I'm glad to hear like you say like people are starting to come around to it more because like I used to hear people for years make fun of Tater Sack Jason and I'm just kind of like it's yeah. like it's like okay okay you have whatever it is I don't even know what it is now you have nine other f- whatevers to watch them in the fucking hockey mask <laughs> yeah I think that's ultimately I think you're right I think that's ultimately I think it's kind of like a very much um how people didn't want to give Halloween three a chance for so long just because it wasn't a Michael Myers movie. And with yeah. this one, it's, it's not that it's that people are like, well, that's not the Jason look I like, but yeah. like, so who, who cares? I mean, it's, it's more fun to see that evolve as you go along, which I mean, to be fair, the Halloween franchise did it too. But like, like also too, it's like, there is no emotional or story connection. Why he ever wore a hockey mask. It was out of pure convenience. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, because he was a mask wearer. He he wore the the whatever the burlap sack or whatever it was, the pillowcase, whatever it was in this one. So like he's running around with no mask for the first whatever a third of part three. So he sees a mask. He wants to put it on. I get it. But he loses that mask a couple movies later, and then it becomes this game of like he consistently has to find new hockey masks to put on. 
And like old, like old fashioned goalie masks that don't even exist anymore. Right, so it becomes right. now he has to now he has to get on eBay and he has to like bid for them. I'm sure it's like a real hassle. I was gonna say I just watched a uh, hockey movie last night, Trev. Uh, which to put more of the time machine spin on it will become a future episode. But I watched this movie, Young Blood. Okay. Oh yeah. And this movie is so old that it features Keanu Reeves in his first movie years before Bill and Ted. So this movie was I I don't know the exact year. It was either eighty five, eighty six, something like that. And even by that point, they were not wearing Jason hockey no. mask at yeah. all. <laughs> no, you have to go way far back yeah. for that. Like that's like the ninth, late sixties, early seventies shit. It would be really funny if Jason tried to wear a modern goalie mask because it's just you could see his face like through the netting. <laughs> yeah, you, you you could. You, I mean, yeah, it's just like I almost like the idea, and they kind of do set that up when he takes Manhattan that the guy's wearing like a Jason style hockey mask just to scare his girlfriend. So then Jason takes it. But I almost like the idea that maybe like there could have been like a weird shrine at Camp Blood that that kids come and like leave shit, and they're always you know and like they leave hockey masks hanging on the. The the telephone oh, yeah. poles mean, as pranks and kind of thing, you know what I mean? I always love that stuff. That's why I love like um, you know some of the later Halloween sequels when they get into that idea of how like this is a town that's been through this. So you know, obviously you're gonna those same dipshit kids that you knew in high school that would wear Charles Manson shirts just to be like an edgy outsider. You know, yeah. those kids in a town like this are gonna are gonna all wear Jason masks and and keep that paraphernalia around. I mean, I'm sure there's a million more things we can talk about the franchise, but I guess we'll just save those for when more Friday 13s come up on the calendar, and we'll cover yeah, we more in, Friday we films. Intend, we intend to keep going along with this. I'll, I would, gl- I'll gladly do all 12 of them because I do love it, and I have things to say about each of them. Yeah, and I gotta say that's that's one because uh, we did the first one years ago, just because, like, literally, just because there was a Friday 13th coming up on the calendar. I was like, hey, Trev, you want to do this and. And I do want to thank our, uh, you know, very supportive listeners. I actually had a couple different requests that, that, you know, we get back on this franchise. So I agree. I agree, listeners. It was time. And thank you for uh, putting the idea back in my head. But, uh, yeah, so um, I think now we've officially done the first two Nightmare on Elm Street. Now we did the first two Friday 13th. So it's it's time we uh, pick it up here on the show and we we keep talking about these and, um, but uh, quarantine watches, Trev, I, I want to tell you, and I'm, I'm just curious if you've seen this. Um, are you familiar with that movie, The Vanishing, with Jeff Bridges? Oh, yeah, I've seen both versions. Okay. The, that, the, the, the original version is, is better, but the remake is, is pretty good just because Jeff Bridges' performance is, is so great. Yeah, like, I, you know, I saw the Jeff Bridges uh, version, um, uh, you know, when it came out a million years ago, and then I saw it was on Blu-ray and it was kind of cheap. I was like, I'll pick that up just because it's Jeff Bridges. I want to see him in that role again. I still haven't watched it again, but it did prompt me. I didn't even know the original was out from a Criterion Blue, so I gave it a rental on Netflix and I watched it. And uh, I'm I'm glad you've seen it because, like, yeah, at first I was kind of like it was weird because like the, it is slightly different than the remake, and we should say it was a. Uh, um, it gets cat- categorized as a French film, but it's really not. It's like, isn't it from the Netherlands? It mm-hmm. just it just happens to take place mo- mostly in France. And then the same director, it was like one of those deals. And I'm, I don't. How do you feel about that, Trev? When the same director does like the the American language remake, I it's kind of like a subgenre. I'm kind of oddly fascinated with, to be honest with you. Yeah, it is. A, it is not a thing. I, I mean it's different ones turn out you know different in terms of quality i know like um i mean like in the 90s there was that film uh night watch with yep. uh, where the american one had ewan mcgregor and that was like that was the same thing the same director um 
that was one of those cases where the the Weinstein's bought the foreign one and basically buried it and yeah. told him, no, you got to remake it. Uh, and then that one, like the original is, is so much better than the remake. Um, and then you get to things as weird as, you know, like um, funny games where he just yep. remade the film exactly the same, which is just so bizarre. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's weird that they want to do it, you know, that they, yeah. it's, that's what I think is fascinating about it, uh, especially with a case of like funny games. I've, I've read Haneke's explanation of what he was trying to do with the remake. I still don't really get it yeah. or agree with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you feel like you didn't get it right the first time, I guess the uh, the ability to come back and and rework it, I guess, might be somewhat interesting. Yeah, I was a fan of that Night Watch movie with Ewan McGregor, like really, and uh, I I I can't remember if I tracked it down on VHS or I was able to catch it on like on IFC or something. But I saw the original too, and and uh, yeah, like it, it it is kind of like a thing where like I agree with you, like the original is better. Funny yeah. Games is one where I I was actually a fan of the original before the remake happened, so I'm gonna go. I'm going to side with the original with that. And I, I still need to rewatch the American version of The Vanishing. But I got to say, like, the the Vanishing of that whole experiment of the guy remaking his own movie, I, to me, that was the one where it kind of worked the best. Because, like, I love the cast of the American remake, so it doesn't really feel, like, just completely needless uh, in terms of, like, you know, like, like, it, like, for entertainment value, I think you could watch both. But, like, I like the differences... Uh, at least from what I remember, like I, I just literally just the other night watched the original version and I'm like, hmm, like it's actually kind of interesting because usually the translation from the the foreign version and the American version, literally the only difference is like, hey, let's just do it in this language. Whereas I feel like if you watch the original Vanishing and you watch the, you know, it was like came out five years later, the American remake of the Vanishing, I feel like there's slight tweaks to the genre part of it where it's like they like either he knew or the studio or whoever knew like hey some of these kind of character twists and turns uh, particularly of the killer guy like i don't think this is like you know gonna work as well for the american yeah. audience so like j- just the viewpoint it's it's a fa- the original one is a fascinating film how it flashes back and you see the guy preparing to become mm-hmm. a killer you know what i mean i mean i agree with that i, I will say ultimately though and I mean, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, the one thing about the American remake is, is you can watch the original and then it would before even seeing the American one and show it to someone and go, hey, what do you think they changed about the American one? <laughs> right, and, right. and they're instantly going to know, you know, yeah. and that's like the that's the bummer of it is just uh, American movies don't have the guts often to to go through with the concept all the way like the foreign ones do. Um, and that's definitely an example of that. I agree with you completely, but it's like at the same time, I also like. Like, like, kind of, I kind of figured it out because I kind of, you know, hit the display because I was kind of like, it seems like a lot of stuff still, because you know, I'm going off my memory of the American remake, so I'm like, a lot of stuff still needs to happen, but this movie's almost over with, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, there's eight minutes left. Like, there ain't no fucking way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like what I thought was going to happen is going to happen. So like, I don't know, like. Like yeah, like I like them both. I need to rewatch the American one anyway. I like my opinion of that one might you know dip rewatching it again. I, all I these mean, years. I, maybe, but Jeff Bridges is still is still great in it. And I think like the thing I liked about that movie is it's very much a case of, I think like um, nine out of ten directors would approach that casting and say, well, obviously Kiefer Sutherland should play the crazy guy, and right. Jeff Bridges should be the guy looking for his girlfriend. And I love that right. they swapped that. And uh, oh, I agree. And I love that we get such an unhinged Jeff Bridges in that. And and not to like be mean or anything, but like 
as old as that movie is, I think that might have been the last time Kiefer Sutherland was good in something. Ooh, that's that is mean. Come on, you didn't like uh, he was he was Jack Bauer is great. Come on, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm talking. About. But anyway, anyway, I just thought that was like I'm I'm glad you were uh, you were you were hip to that too because like yeah like um, I don't know like like I, I I really enjoyed the original version of The Vanishing and I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to re redoing. Was there anything? Just in general, or especially anything older that you rewatched recently, Trev, or watched for the first time, I should say. Um, yeah, you know, I've I've been diving into my, um, you know, I'll throw a couple of recommendations that would fit into the 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 kind of fan base this show has. Um, I've been diving into my Halloween season viewing already. Um, you know, I think this year I've noticed a lot of people starting it in September because we're all just like sitting around with nothing to do. Yeah. So everyone's kind of finally on my wavelength that treating Halloween as a two month holiday, but um two cool discoveries for me um uh, 80s you know low budget horror films which i'd never seen um go maybe you're familiar with one or both of these i finally saw mausoleum from 1983 have you seen seen that directed by michael dugan i I know exactly what you're talking about but i don't really remember it at all so i'm gonna say no okay that's definitely one i would recommend people go revisit it's right now as we're recording this it's available on shutter and amazon prime um just great like kind of you know low budget b movie horror trash in like the best way possible about a a young girl who when she's young um kind of becomes possessed in a cemetery by this this curse that has haunted her family and then you pick a pick the story back up with her later on in life uh, she's a housewife now and it's essentially kind of this like um, surprise. There's not a bunch of feminist think pieces about it because it's kind of her using the demonic force in her to, to murder all these men who are shitty to her. Um, but just like great, fun, practical effects and just just complete oddness. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I'm I was entertained from minute one to the end. And then in that same realm, a much a much worse film, but but also worse when i say worse i mean in the way best way possible because i loved it is um necropolis from 1987 which is a um you know a full moon uh i'm not sure if it full moon made at the time but they certainly they certainly own it now they actually even recently did a a remake of it which as far as i can tell i haven't seen yet but really looks like a remake in name only almost but uh but the original necropolis from 1987 yeah about this I remember, you know this one? Yeah, what was the VHS cover? It had a real memorable VHS cover. Oh, the didn't poster it? is great because like it's a, like the movie is about this like uh, this witch, this like old witch from the 1600s, who is doing the satanic ritual, and the the you know the villagers find her and stop it, and then you pick up in like modern day New York, modern day New York meaning 1987, and she's been reincarnated, and she's kind of this like new wave punk biker chick now. And uh, she's like, and then so she's going after the the people in New York who are the reincarnations of the the villagers who stopped her. And then she's always doing like, even in the 1600s, there's a dance sequence with her where she's doing this like very like new wave kind of disco dance. It seems really out of place. And then she just like randomly does that again later. There's a great sequence where for no reason she grows four extra boobs. So she has like six <laughs> boobs and she starts her, the nipples start like leaking ectoplasm, which her satanic followers start like sucking out of her breasts. Um, it's just, it's just like, it's it's awful in all the best ways possible. But the poster you're talking about, which is great, is yeah. like a painting of her like sitting on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. with like kind of like zombie hands coming up out of the ground, which never happens in the film. But yeah, great poster. Which, um, which, which by the way, did you see somebody Photoshop the poster to make it Amy Winehouse? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great though. <laughs> yeah, it says Amy Winehouse is in Back to Black. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but that's a that's a really fun one. I think you can find it in its like entirety on on, on YouTube. Um, I actually got the uh, the little cheapo 
full moon grindhouse flicks dvd release which you know it's not a remastered edition by any means the dvd looks looks like you're watching a fifth generation vhs but uh but that just adds to the charm i suppose i would totally like if somebody like vinegar or um you know like uh severin though ever gets like a chance to upgrade that i would i would be all over it uh because it's it's a lot of fun dope you come up with some good picks i gotta i gotta say trev i for the long time i was the uh i was one of those guys who know is uh halloween halloween is october and you probably shouldn't even start it until like around october 26 but i gotta say i'm with you now september Mm -hmm. and october because when you get older and you're working all the time and you're just you know the days are blurring by and blah blah blah. that halloween season they that spooky season it it comes and goes way too fast it does yeah yeah so dope and uh if you wanted something really spooky and i mean to the point that like it's gonna frighten you and make you hide under the bed i suggest people go listen to the ghostbusters episode of failure to franchise trip (laughs) yeah um i was i definitely had a very scary experience having to watch that movie twice in my lifetime um ghostbusters 2016 but uh but thanks for the plug yeah so people can go check out my other uh, movie podcast failure to franchise where we uh me and my buddy chris take a look at various films that were meant to start franchises and didn't quite take off and uh yep ghostbusters 2016 we've covered um looked at john carter Waterworld, super mario brothers and and for october we were diving into uh the platinum dunes friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street because uh because platinum dunes was great at re like remaking horror films and and not so great at uh making the follow-ups I think, they only, I think they only did one. I think Texas Chains Massacre is the only one that actually went uh, forward with a, a second installment. Yep. And uh, the great thing is by the time our friends are actually hearing this, all those episodes will be available. So go get yep. them now. Trev, I, I got to come clean about something, a misnomer. I don't know if this is my fault or what, but uh, all these years, I was under the impression that you were more of a, a defender of that 2016 Ghostbusters than you really were. So, uh, oh no, 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 no. You yeah. can go back and read my original review when I saw it. I, I, I did not like it. Uh, the thing is, I was, uh, I was rooting for it. I was very much going into it hoping it would be good. In particular, yeah. because I don't like the, the, the gender discussion that enveloped it when it came out. And I, it was the same thing with all these, you know, all these idiots who were just attacking it because it was for women. Um, that I felt was like the completely wrong reason to be upset about it. And I remember being really bummed watching the theater and being like, Oh no, they just gave these guys like a victory. Cause, uh, it's just not a good film. <laughs> like, and that's, that was the ultimate bummer of it all. Yeah. Th- to me, I mean, I don't even know what you consider it. I don't think they know what to consider it either, whether it's a remake, reboot, sequel, whatever the fuck it is. It doesn't know. It doesn't know what it is. Yeah. But it's so funny. Cause I remember almost innocently back to a time when I was walking out of the theater and they had these large, like, vinyl... They weren't even posters. They were more, like, vinyl banners uh, of, like, the... And, and they were kind of cool-looking, to be honest with you. It was, like, the close-up of the ladies' faces, and they were kind of tinted. Each one was tinted a different color, and it just said, who you going to call on it? And I remember walking by that, looking at it, and being like, yeah, they they casted that pretty well. That'll probably turn out okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Little did I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, I I think that I, I like I know there was chemistry issues where some of the the actresses didn't like working with each other, but uh, I'm going to blame that personally about ninety five percent on the director not knowing what the fuck yeah, he was no. doing. He let he he let his cast get away from him on that one. Um, yeah, 
So yep. yeah. So so if 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 I got a vote in the in the whatever they are, the podcast awards, the Rondo awards, the Webby awards, I don't even know what are. I'm voting failure to franchise best new podcast of 2020. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I love I, it. I'll say, and I'll say, like you know, that it, that means a lot. And, uh, and also, um, that podcast probably wouldn't even exist if not for you having this podcast. Because you know, um, like in in more recent years, I've only been doing um, the my X Men podcast, also Days of Future podcast, mm-hmm. and and this is the show that's really been you know scratching my itch to talk about movies in the podcast realm, and and it's always been really fun. And that's what you know, doing some of these episodes with you in recent months is what got me really wanted to do more in this realm and, and kind of get that going. So I'm going to keep, you know, I, it's weird to plug this show as I'm on it, but, uh, right. but this show remains really fun and I love coming back every time. And you and I have already got a few more things planned and up our sleeves and I'm really looking forward to those as well. So, yeah. uh, so thank you for having me back. Not to just, not just talk about this, but even for, it seems like every time I pitch you what I think is like a weird idea for an episode, you're, you're all about it. So that's fun too. Yeah, because I I gotta say, uh, you know, we, that's okay. We, we we can promote our own show while we're on it. It's kind of like you you ever like buy a Blu-ray, Trev, like especially the early ones, and you put it in, and there's a whole promo telling you how great Blu-ray in general is. <laughs> no, you know what? It, you know what it reminds me of is um I don't know if you used to watch ECW pay-per-views. I did, but uh, but ECW pay-per-views always used to have commercials for that pay-per-view, like in between the matches. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? I already ordered this. Like, exactly. <laughs> if I'm seeing it, I already paid. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, I, w- I wanted to thank you not only for uh. You know, not just you know, you you were always coming back. There was never a period of time. I think you showed up. I think maybe roughly the sixth or seventh episode of the show and did the burbs. So I mean, there was never in question that uh, you know, you would continue to make appearances here. But uh, not only come back, but also be proactive in suggesting topics. Like a lot of the awesome topics we've done, you know, the non-commentary episodes where we've done these topics, and you know, like they're pretty much all from you, and I appreciated them and. and you know, it's it's fun to do something a little bit di- different every now and then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm all, I'm all about it, man. So cool. with with that, I guess I guess it is Friday the Thirteenth right now, Trev. I mean, not to you and me, but <laughs> probably to to the first sixty or seventy people that download this on the day it comes out, it will be Friday the Thirteenth. So I just want to wish everybody a warm and happy, and please stay safe. I mean, a regular Friday the Thirteenth is already scary. I can't imagine yeah. what Friday the Thirteenth, twenty twenty, that's going to happen. I mean, yeah. like, like the the world just might blow up on Friday the Thirteenth this year. But uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, for because for for us, I mean, for their listeners, this is even this is post election day. Who knows what happened? Exactly, that is true. We we could possibly well not have a new president. I guess what you every whatever they say, president elect. We could mm-hmm. technically have elected a new president. We don't even know. Like that's yeah. the beauty of time travel. Or we could have, or we could have, we could have that, and we could have like we've elected one, but the other one is already starting a civil war to stay in office. Who knows? <laughs> he put a moat around the White House, and he's not leaving. <laughs> you never know what could happen. So either way, have a great Friday thirteenth, and I hope everybody survives. You know, you never know. This might be the actual Friday thirteenth, much like Wes Craven's New Nightmare. This might be the Friday thirteenth where Jason materializes from the fictional world into the real world. Anything can happen in twenty twenty. I mean, bring it on at this point. Yeah, Yeah. come kill us all, Jason. Put us out (laughs) of our misery. Like he'll he'll probably get me when I'm under my bed and the rat pisses on the corner because that's actually something that is possible in this house. So probably get me when I go skinny dipping because I'll probably be dressed just like Terry. You know, I throw on those, <laughs> yeah. those short shorts and that shirt. Yeah, yeah. You, you, do you do you happen to have a hairy belly button? 
or not a belly button, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, what do they call it? Fuzzy trail, whatever. Yeah. If, if, if you do, that shirt will be showing that off nicely. So. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, everybody, have a great one. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time in the movie graveyard. See ya. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.